Blog Talk Radio. Kane is in the building. Hollywood cold, I'm with Molly G, bro, flying Holly Grove chicks to my Hollywood shows, and I wanna tell you something that you probably should know, this that slumdog millionaire Bollywood flowing up, uh, my real friends never hearing from me, fake friends write the wrong answers on the mirror for me, that's why I pick and Hey, good afternoon, everybody. It's Sunday evening on a beautiful weekend here in South Carolina, Somerville to be exact, here in the studio as we're coming to you live again for another broadcast of Southern Sports Central, live here in the Factory Sports and Fitness Training Studios here in Somerville, South Carolina. I'm Rich Yalba alongside, well, the coach, Eugene Benton here, joining us here on the air with uh, that social distancing for maybe one of the last times. He's been traveling today. He's coming back from the uh, capital city of South Carolina, that's Columbia, South Carolina, where uh, we'll get him caught up here in just a minute. But, boy, it is going to be a five-star show, three solid hours, and guests from the beginning to the end. And here's the cool part. Now, I know we were originally slated to go to Goose Creek today, but some scheduling situations kind of started to happen. So I said, no worries, let's do it next week. We kind of did a, a Sunday show where we focused on high school. We did it again on Tuesday where we went to Saluda. We, of course, on last Sunday – at Fort Dorchester, and I didn't want it to uh, be 100%. I want to get out some other news that's happening around the great state of South Carolina and around the country as well. And as you know, today kicked off NASCAR, and why not? They're kicking it off in Darlington Motor Speedway over in Darlington, South Carolina, right outside of Florence, and I was able to get in touch with somebody from Rick Ware Racing, who is a he's a driver for uh, the team there. He drives one of the haulers, excuse me, uh, Jake Shelton is going to join us around 6.30. He's also one of the gas men. And here's the neat thing. He's going to join us in the infield somewhere between 6.30 and 7. He's going to give us about 10 minutes, and that's going to be a new thing, kind of a nice thing, as uh, NASCAR is, uh, I guess, one of the first large sports that's getting back to normal. When I say large sports, I mean they pack the stands out at Darlington. This is usually a big race. Uh, they're going to be there for two weeks. And, uh, of course, we'll kind of get – the ins and outs, because there's a lot of new rules and new things that are kind of put in place for the crew, for, of course, the drivers. The drivers are not allowed to stay at night. They're actually driving back and forth. And here's the other thing. they got to drive themselves back, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I saw Jimmy Johnson on an interview, and he was literally in the car coming uh, down from the Charlotte area into uh, South Carolina, where it's about two and a half to three hours, he said, uh, coming and going. As uh, they talked to him, they talked to another uh, gentleman as well. Now, who does Rick wear, of course? Uh, who does he drive uh, with him, of course, is J.J. Yaley. He's number 27. Not sure the stats right now where he stands in the top in the racing deal. I do know right now it is Kevin Harvick. He's driving the number four car. He's led 78 of 171 laps in this uh, kick back up to the NASCAR thing. The other cool thing is Ryan Newman. If you guys are NASCAR fans, you remember he was in that really bad accident in uh, Daytona uh, a couple months ago where they didn't know he was going to come out of this hospital or not. And, of course, there were great pictures of him hugging his daughters, walking out hand-in-hand with his daughters. 
and he's actually racing today, so we'll kind of keep you up. It is here on the TV here in the studio, so we'll kind of keep an eye on it on the other side. Now, that interview is going to happen sometime around 6.30 this afternoon or this evening. Then, 7 o'clock, if it works itself out, Coach Miguel Patrick from Cedar Grove High School in Atlanta will join us. Now, he's going to talk to us about Atlanta and the state of Georgia have already lapped out and kind of spaced out when they're going to start actually hitting in July. I mean, that schedule is already out and about. We'll talk to him about that and, and how he's kind of moved since the uh, shutdown of high school football and the school system around the country has affected him and, of course, uh, his team as they are known for winning state championships year after year. Then at 7.30, we head in to Goose Creek, South Carolina, with the Hall of Famer, the coach that has coached at Goose Creek High School. He's coached at Clemson. Of course, he coached at Baylor. He is an owner of a restaurant here in town called the Comeback Shack. We'll talk to him a little about the food. We'll talk to him about football and uh, kind of get his thoughts and opinions on where things are in his mindset. He's probably, I would imagine, like the rest of us, never seen anything like this before, uh, watching even the NASCAR on TV, the no fans in the stands, and it's a different atmosphere, but yet getting back to, as they say, the new normal. Then at 8 o'clock, we go to Columbia, South Carolina, where the former Gamecock, the former running back, number three, Corey Boyd, joins us uh, here on Southern Sports Center. We're going to talk to him about this whole situation. Remember, he grew up in the state of New Jersey, was recruited heavily there and brought into South Carolina where he played for uh, Lou Holtz. He played for, I believe, Steve Spurrier, and he had, you know, multiple stories to go along with that. So we'll talk to him about that. And then he's now a coach. That's right. He's over there in that South Carolina Youth Football Association League where we're going to be covering him and his team along with other teams around the state of South Carolina this year as we've partnered up over there with these guys. We'll talk a little bit about their program. They've got a fundraiser coming up. We'll get up to date on that. And then our final stop. We say it's in Knoxville, but the young man's back home in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. He is a dual threat athlete. He coached, of course, he plays football for the volunteers in the uh, secondary on the defensive side of the ball. And then he runs a lot of track and field over there in the spring. And who else better than the former soccer Steve Bray, Kenny Solomon, will join us at 830. So uh, a loaded show, and like I mentioned, let me bring him in now. Of course, uh, Coach, what's up, buddy? Are you back in town? Or are you on the way in? Or kind of what's your status, brother? Just landed back in town. Uh, got the got the laptop fired up and everything a couple minutes ago. Uh, called in and and got everything you know set up to run. But uh, you know, it was a good uh, good trip up to uh, actually is on the other side of Lexington in the uh, same area as Dutch Fork. We were just down the road from Dutch Fork High School. Um, and, and did some things up there. Uh, just got back to, uh, a little while ago. It was, uh, it was a great trip. Uh, got some good things done today. But um, you know, it's uh, boy, they sure are taking these uh, th- these high school league rules seriously everywhere you go. You know, if you uh, have kids or they're doing some type of training thing, it's um, it's very heavily guarded. <laughs> you know, I know. You know, we covered that a little bit about what happened with the Dutch Fork players, and uh, heard some things about that today. Don't want to get into that right now, just because. You know those things aren't aren't set in stone, but um, you know it could be a pretty serious uh, a consequence being handed down. You know, and that that came from someone who would know that. But like I said, you know, we're really not going to cover that until we get a definitive answer on that. But um, yeah, it was a good it was a good workout. Uh, they're trying to get some stuff in before the um, the national series starts back up uh, next month. Um, have a kid competing in Ohio at one of the showcases. It's very limited in size due to the the COVID things and, and, you know, all the rules and social distancing. And they even had the kids wear masks today. Uh, if they were punting and sharing a ball or doing anything like that, and they were wiping the balls down and keeping everything very, uh, 
secure and clean um, and all that. But, yeah. So just got back. Luckily, I didn't have to drive, so I could focus on, you know, getting ready for the show and things like that. And uh, ready ready to go. It's a little breezy, not as, not as sunny as it was earlier. And uh, over here in North Charleston, a little cloudy, but uh, looks to me, you know, it's very nice weather, man. Hoping for the rain, you know, the, the gardens and the grass need it. <laughs> we haven't had a lot of rain, and we've had a lot of great weather. Uh, we kind of talked about that on Thursday with uh, a couple of different guests that came in here with us. And while we need the rain, well, we've enjoyed the, the mild temperatures and even cooler temperatures as uh, we kind of get things, uh, kind of put through it. Now, uh, a couple of things here, as uh, you may or may not know, we are partnered also with the guys over there at the High School Blitz, and I've been in conversations with him all weekend long. Uh, of course, he's got those prime time five-star wrestling belts. We're going to get our own here at Southern Sports Central. We, you and I guess Eugene will be like tag team partners or something. I don't know how we'll figure that part out. But nevertheless, we're going to get our belts. And you guys have a chance to get some belts, too, because here's what's going to happen. In the month of July, they're going to have four combines, junior combines. As you guys know, right now it seems like Rivals not going to do theirs, and other organizations probably aren't going to do theirs. So what we have decided is that we are going to travel – to the upstate, we'll travel to Columbia, to Myrtle Beach, and here to Charleston, where they'll have, in the, where they'll have kind of a, a focus on the area that they're in, and that, of course, is going to help all of the areas geographically, so not everybody has to travel. Now, of course, Charleston uh, will give you the updates and the information of where it's going to be here. Myrtle Beach, we're still working on that field as well. Uh, I do think they've kind of concrete got a spot in the upstate, and it looks pretty good in. Columbia. Now, we'll find out because we'll get that big man who, of course, has all that information to join us at 7 o'clock on Tuesday night. We'll get some information out uh, with you on that forefront as well. So uh, we're excited to hear that there are going to be some opportunities to get some exposure for this junior class coming up senior class over the summer. I myself, of course, uh, did work over the weekend uh, with a couple of athletes, got my chance to uh, just kind of, you know, run them a little bit, get them exercising a little bit, stretch them out a little bit. And uh, it, it's always fun to see these young men come out, and it's easy to do it the first time. It's a little tougher the second time, and it becomes a commitment the third time. So all I mean by that is that, look, you can either sweat today or you can cry tomorrow. You can sweat it out. Prepare yourself for that championship right now in the, post, in the preseason, in the offseason, or however season you want to call it. Or you can cry and whine coming about, what, November, December, about how you wish you would have done better. I'm giving you the chance. Coach Eugene's doing some things. We're all reaching out. And there's a reason that we're not 100% wrapped our arms around an individual school. Now, I do what I do at Somerville on Friday nights. That, there's, that, that, that's something that I enjoy doing, getting a chance to be the voice of the green wave. But when it comes down to it, like Coach Eugene, he has a chance to be a consultant at Oceanside. We both – will agree in this, that we love all these kids out here. We want to see all of our kids that come on this show, Southern Sports Central athletes, be incredible athletes on and off the field. So if we can do anything for them, we try to do just that. Uh, so today, as you heard, Eugene, it's going to be a loaded show, man. Got a lot to cover today. Not sure if we're going to get in with Coach Miguel Patrick. He is that Cedar Grove head coach, and we, we've sent some fillers out to him. We feel pretty good that he'll call it 7, around that 7 o'clock hour. Uh, and I just want to kind of get some information from him because here's the thing. The fun thing is that at the end of the day, we we see that these guys have already, and these guys being the state of Georgia, has already put a game plan together on how they're going to attack getting back to the new normal. While there's other places like Virginia that have already canceled things, 
You know, there's other states that are like, no way, not happening, not here, not today. And, and so that kind of leads to certain things. It's not quite as indicative into high school sports because it's not something that they have like a Super Bowl or a national championship game or like it's a college, you know, conference situation there. Uh, these are all within the confines of the borders of the state, so it doesn't affect it as much nationally, Eugene. Kind of your thoughts on where you feel like the state of South Carolina. Now, there is no word yet that's come down 100%. We hear June 1st is going to be the opening date, but at what capacity does that mean? There is still no guarantee that they're going to be getting their gyms on June 1st, and I think, not shockingly, but it seems like the, uh, the, the, the South Carolina High School League is kind of taking their time on announcing what they can and can't do. Well, my source with the high school league, um, we talked about that last week. And what he told me was right now they are scheduled for June 1st, you know, with the strength and conditioning, uh, with the caveat that, you know, it's all up to the governor. Um, Because if there is strength and conditioning, but schools aren't allowed to be open, then technically one can't use a gym or a weight room because that's technically on school property. Uh, so that's kind of the caveat is it's, that's up to the governor. Um, but I know the governor is being not pushed, but, you know, a lot of the things are, are being said, you know, with the, with the quote unquote summer school, you know, and the kids needing, you know, to get to class because, you know, some kids obviously have been hurt by being uh, the schools being shut down and not having that, you know, classroom experience and not and, and just needing a little boost, whether it be credit recovery or things like that. And, you know, not a lot of kids can get the online classes for credit recovery or, or, or the classes they need. So that's one of the pushes going to be is to, if it's not June 1, they're looking at, I think it's June 8th, that next Monday. Um, but, you know, the high school league's ready to roll with that date. However, you know, like I said, they, they, they keep saying, that, you know, the one caveat is it's up to the governor. The governor has to say, you know, that the school buildings can be open, um, you know, for, for kids to, and strength coaches and, and all that to be able to use the actual facilities. Um, and so that's, you know, that's going to be the trigger. Yeah, it's very similar. And I had this conversation earlier today. It's very similar to where there's a hurricane for us here in this area and this side of the world. When there's a hurricane comes through, it shuts the schools down, that shuts the campus down, that shuts down any anything that goes on in the, 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 the campus. It doesn't matter whether it's an athletic or it's a situation. It's all a no-go. So I, I'm hoping that they're at least able to get these young men and women because it's not just football that we're trying to save in the fall. No, it's every sport in the fall. It's volleyball. It's, it's multiple sports that happen during the fall season here uh, in the state of South Carolina and around the country that I want to make sure that we're not just throwing the love just to football because there are other sports that happen here in that season. But I hope to see this happening. Don't forget the money that these schools are losing because just like in college, these high schools do camps as well. And this brings in revenue. This brings in opportunity for, for jerseys and upgraded uh, equipment, things like that. All of this isn't happening. All of this is not happening. And this kind of goes into a little segue as the state starts to continue to open. In the state of South Carolina tomorrow, we're basically back to 100% open. I mean, you can go get your tattoo. You can go get your body sprayed with tannin, and then you can go get your hair done and so on and so forth, as the rest of your day can be jam-packed full of whatever you want it to be. Now, that being said, let's be strategic. Let's be smart. Let's not be up in people's faces. Let's not make this thing become an issue again if we don't handle it the right way. I've, I've seen a ton of video uh, up in my hometown, up in Myrtle Beach on the boulevard, and it makes me sick that there are no social distancing. There is no one wearing any type of mask or anything to that degree, and here we go. We got people from who knows where, where they've been, who they've been around. Nobody knows. 
but they're all walking and talking, and they're all crowded together on the Ocean Boulevard, and I knew that was going to happen. I knew that was going to happen, and here's what happened to those on the beaches. And this is why I had a problem with people being mad that Folly Beach didn't open, because they don't want to deal with this. That's where they live. That's their yard. That's their taxes. That's them. That's where they are. They shouldn't have to become, I would say, prisoners in their own town. And now the city of Myrtle Beach is, is very much like that. My father, who's, who has, who's, a, who's a diabetic, who has some other health things, my mother who has health things, you know, they can't, they, they can't wander as much as they used to. Now because who knows where these individuals are coming from and where they've been and what they've been through. They can't go through and, and, and temperature check everybody. Okay, that's, that's a real situation that's coming up. So, you know, as things start to open up tomorrow here in Charleston and around the country, in the state of South Carolina for sure, let's, let's be smart about this thing because it's going to be an interesting thing. And if we're not careful, this thing could go a lot worse. Everybody's counting on the heat to kill it, but I think it's common sense that's going to kill it, Eugene. Yeah, no joke. And, you know, I was talking, I was uh, chatting with uh, my tattoo artist guy, friend, um, earlier. Uh, there's a couple things that I wanted to get done. And, you know, he was like, I think, you know, while some things are opening up, he said that uh, he feels like they might actually be the last group uh, of businesses to open. And they're still not sure if they technically can go Monday. However, you know, he's like, you know, we wear gloves anyway, but, you know, everybody's going to have to wear at least, you know, a mask even when they get back going just because, you know, of all the DHEC regulations they, they have anyway. So, um, you know, he's, he wasn't real confident that they're included technically in that group on Monday. And, you know, they're still trying to figure things out on their end legally before they can, you know, just, just open the doors and get back to work. But, you know, it's, it's just, like you said, man, it's just trying to get back to some type of norm, whether it be the new norm, the old norm, or, or whatever the, the, the norm's going to be going forward. It's definitely going to be different, and it's going to be different for a while. Uh, even if things are opened up full bore, you know, I still think people are going to be a little hesitant, you know, and whether it be right. food service workers or patrons and things like that, you know. I mean, if you're sitting back-to-back to somebody at a restaurant, you might feel a little uncomfortable. You know, a lot of people want to go, but, you know, once they get there and kind of get that feeling, you know, you might get the quote-unquote heebie-jeebies sitting too close to somebody. Maybe someone coughs at a restaurant. You know, you're probably not going to feel as comfortable as you did on the way there. But, um, you know, I guess it, it, it's going to be a feeling out thing, and I think it's going to take a while. Who knows? Maybe that's why the governor's doing that to kind of, you know, I think we mentioned that whole you don't just jump into the river. Maybe you stick your foot in and test the waters a little bit before you do that uh, kind of thing. So I, I kind of feel like that's the way we're headed. But, uh, you know, uh, we'll see tomorrow and see how things go. Uh, I'm sure there'll be. Uh, some reports out this week after, you know, things start opening up full bore. I'm sure DHEC will have some releases through the week, and I'm sure it'll be heavily watched, you know, with numbers and testing, you know, or, because some of the numbers have been going down recently. But, you know, once things open up, if the numbers start to go back up, you know, again, we, we might have some more changes. Yeah, and, and if I'm not – I don't don't quote me on this deal, but I believe that yesterday was the first positive, completely zero – tested and no one uh of course um no one was no, no one at the end of the day uh no one passed away from the from from what we're dealing with no one was uh, i guess tested positive for it yesterday but again my fear and again when i look at social media and i see you know friends of mine that are that are directly sending me things and like hey man you need to mention this on your radio show 
you know, this is this is a serious deal. I see some of the bars down in, in Myrtle Beach, and, and I don't think it's bike week uh, by no means, but, but it looked like it at one of the local bike uh, places down there on the south end of Myrtle Beach, and, and it was as if nothing had changed. Nothing had happened in the last three to two to three months. I mean, are we forgetting, you know, kind of that thing, and that's kind of been my thing, and we're not going to thrive on this a whole lot unless we need to. Again, I'll take the whole show and, and educate you. That's fine, but I shouldn't see you guys laying down and people all around you and, and just the, 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 the old days of what it was this time last year, this time in January, this time in December, because if, again, it might not affect you, but promise you it could affect others. And that would be the shame. That, that's the thing that, that worries me the most is that the long-term effects. I mean, yes, people could lose scholarships and people could lose different things, but people could lose lives. Okay, that's the most important thing out of this whole deal. And I know we talk athletics on this show all the time, but someone's life is a lot more impressionable than a scholarship, a lot more impressionable than scoring touchdowns and base hits and soccer goals and, you know, anything that they do on a, on a sporting event. So just kind of keep that in mind as, as we kind of get through here today. And, again, we are very excited because you do, if you are a NASCAR fan, you're watching Fox right now, you're seeing these guys going round and round and, and round and round. And for us to have an actual individual that works for Rick Ware Racing to check in, Eugene, with us here in about maybe 10 to 15 minutes, and just kind of you'll hear the noise in the background. I'm sure it's going to be a little loud. Uh, he, of course, drives the hauler for the number 27, J.J. Ailey, and, of course, he's also the gas man. So, uh, you know, he's gotten permission from everybody that needed to be getting permission from because the guidelines at, at this event, and, again, I watched them this morning on the four-letter network as they had uh, a couple of different live, you know, interactions there. It was different. You know, it is, uh, it's a sport that is very interactive. It's a sport that's like potluck when it comes to tailgating. Everybody loves everybody, and you share food, and you're high-fiving. It's like a reunion, very similar, even all the way from the infield to the outfield into the grass area where, you know, you see cars parked for miles and miles and miles over in Darlington Motor Speedway. And today, if you're watching the race right now, I'm watching these guys go around and nobody, I mean nobody, of course, in the stands, the Bud Tower, which I've spent many years up in because I worked for Anheuser-Busch for a while. Uh, that was a lot of fun, but it doesn't look anything like um, it has in the past. As, uh, you remember, these guys usually get there on a Thursday and they practice a lot, then they, they qualify, and then they get in, they practice again, then they race. Eugene, none of that happened. So these guys went out there with a track that was as gray, light gray, and by the end of this race, it will look almost like a black asphalt street from all the rubber that hits it. Yeah, I'm watching, and I have the live stream up on on the side of the computer there. And, uh, you know, uh, Kozlowski is in first now. Uh, Harvick, you mentioned, he's now in fourth, but uh, uh, over a second behind, you know, and they're showing this replay of this crash, the number 47 car, the Kroger car just smacked the wall. But, you know, like you were talking about this gray track, it's gray with some very defined lines down at, you know, with the lanes. And, you know, it's already turning that dark gray to, to black color with the streaks. And, you know, <laughs> they're wearing out the, you know, this car is just, uh, they're showing the replay of it just wearing out the wall there. But we're on lap 198 of 293. And so, you know, there's, there's uh, almost 100 more laps left. So uh, it still uh, looks to be anybody's race, although, um, this Kozlowski uh, seems to be pulling pulling ahead and getting a, a good lead. He's almost half a second lead. So, uh, not always. I've never really been a NASCAR fan. It's just uh, you know, finally we have 
quote unquote sport. <laughs> so you know, live yeah. sport action going on. So you know, I guess that's kind of that's going to be one of the things that kind of draws you in today. Yeah, it does draw you in today. And like you, like I, you know, I was a big fan of NASCAR back in the days with I was with Anheuser Busch. Of course, we had Dale Earnhardt Jr. and I had a chance to to actually uh, win. Uh, he came to Darlington not once but twice. Uh, he would ride on the golf cart. I had the chance to ride on the golf cart, pick him up at his hauler, take him to a couple of different tents, which Anheuser-Busch had set up for, you know, the PR guys, all the, all the big wigs and things like that. And I remember the first interaction I had with Dale Earnhardt Jr. was him sitting on this golf cart. Now, remember, I grew up in Myrtle Beach. He would race in Myrtle Beach. We're going to talk about that here in just a little bit as well because some sad news coming out of the Grand Strand on their racetrack uh, this past week. But I remember just watching him race in Myrtle Beach and watching him, you know, always kind of being that guy. Kind of like if you think about Coach Call, who had to go, you know, and, and be the head coach at Somerville. And his grandfather, of course, left a legacy. Well, Dale Earnhardt Sr., right, was that legacy in NASCAR, winning the races, the Ironman, if you will, just everything wrapped around that number three. So Junior comes in and does great things. He jumps on my golf cart. Now, I had on a Budweiser pullover, and I had a nice Budweiser hoodie, you know, on and all that stuff. I was kind of decked, just relaxing on. He comes out almost identical, man. It was pretty neat. And, of course, he gets all these ladies that holler at him nonstop. And, of course, I'm a little bit of a sarcastic kind of guy, so you guys know me. He jumps in the golf cart. We ride down the road, and two or three of these young ladies yell at him. And I looked at him, and I was like, man, that's my bad. I apologize. I don't know why these girls always yell at me, man. You know, I try to get them not to do it. And he looked at me, and he was like, Man, I like it, it with that big Southern North Carolina draw. It was like, man, I like you. You all right with me? And I guess it's because I was laid back. You know, I wasn't all starstruck with him because, to me, I've been around fortunate enough to be around a lot of guys who have done some really great things on different sporting events. You know, not just here, it's other sports central. Just always been around athletes around my life because of playing sports. But um, it's weird not to see the Dale Earnhardt Jr. It's weird. To, um, to, to not see some of the common names. Jeff Gordon's not racing. Jimmy Johnson, this is one of his final times kind of doing his thing. But there's still a lot of Earnhardt feeling in this race. Even if you look at it right now, you said, you know, Brad Kozlowski is racing that number two. I think Miller Lite, I'm not sure if they're still on it or not, but he's leading the race. And then you got Bowman sitting there at number two racing that 88, which was Dale Jr.'s ride. And then Martin Shrek's Jr., right? Martin Shrek's Jr. raced. For Dale Earnhardt Jr. and uh, in, in his younger, you know, in, in the cars. And then for DEI, which was Dale Earnhardt Incorporated, he raced for him. And then there's Kevin Harvick, who took over the ride. How, how, that had to be pretty hard to take over the ride for that legendary Dale Earnhardt, right? So you kind of think of those. And there's still some names like Kurt Busch is racing, Joey Logano's out there, uh, Boyer's out there, Elliot's out there. And that's not the, that's the son, Elliot, of course. But you start to kind of see some of these things. And not everybody likes NASCAR. And it kind of shocked me a little bit that more guys don't like NASCAR. These dudes are pushing 200 to 230 miles an hour screaming. If you've never done, by the way, if you've never done the Charlotte Motor Speedway, Richard Petty Driving School, give it a shot. I mean, I don't know if I would do it at this track, which I think they do it here too at Darlington, but I did it for my 30th birthday, and that was 12 years ago. And I'm going to tell you something, man, it was awesome. It, it, it's like a video game on steroids, and you don't realize how fast you're going, Eugene, until you pass somebody on an apron, and it's like, I mean, it's like this little lady, she was like 82. She was on the apron, right, driving one of the cars, and I passed by her, and it was amazing to get that rush. And if you've ever been to a race, I can tell you this race alone, if you sit down by the fence, you go in, you know, clean and ready to rock and roll, but by the time you leave that track, if you're on the fence line, 
because of all the rubber that hits your face, your face is completely black and the clothes you have on the roof. Yeah, one thing I'm actually surprised about, again, you know, I've, I've never followed racing. Um, people ask me, you know, why, you know, a lot of people, because of where I grew up here, you know, always, you know, ask me about my fascination, my love for number three being my favorite number and why I chose that number. is It was actually because of Dale Murphy and, and baseball. But, you know, one of the things I'm noticing from this race, and again, like I said, you know, for those that they are listening that, you know, excuse my ignorance, but, you know, the Toyotas, they're like, four Toyotas in the top 10 right now. And I, I just, sure. that, that to me is surprising. I just, you know, maybe because I don't know a lot about it, you know, it's always seemed to be the Ford and Chevy battle. And uh, so, yeah, there, there are uh, currently four Toyotas in the top 10. And so um, that to me now is kind of interesting, just, you know, just because it's something to me that's new. And again, you know, I say that as, you know, not having followed NASCAR or, or, or followed it in many, many years, but um, yeah, this is kind of, it's kind of neat. <laughs> so, and well, by the way, this is what's going to happen. It, it's going to open out. up the sport, though. You know, it's going to open yeah. up the sport, Eugene, where guys are going to watch it like you're watching it. And you mentioned Toyota. You know, who kind of brought in Toyota into this thing and kind of embraced them, you know, was Joe Gibbs. Remember, Joe Gibbs was the big-time head coach for the Washington Redskins. Redskins. You know, yeah. he goes in, and he, he brings it in, and he endorses it. His driver, Denny Hamlin, was one of his drivers. He had multiple other drivers that raced under him as well. I think Joey Logano was one of his racers. But they bring in this thing, and like you mentioned, there were three major major manufacturers, Ford, Chevy, and, of course, everybody knows the truck that you drive, a Dodge, right? So everybody, you, you have those three were the main manufacturers, and here all of a sudden comes different manufacturers with different ideas and body shapes and sizes, but it opened up. I mean, you look at different athletes that have left their sport to come in and be pitmen. For, for NASCAR owners who have left their, their programs to go do what they do to buy into this NASCAR thing. Now, it's a little different. It's not quite the good old boys that you're used to hearing. I mentioned Myrtle Beach, and we're going to go to break in just a minute, but Myrtle Beach is going to become in what it used to be because I'm not happy about it. But And the reason is because I hate to see this is a young man and a young woman's opportunity to do something that they love. It's a sport. doesn't mean you like it. doesn't mean you have to watch it. But it's still a sport that somebody out there is going to make a living out of. And when it's in your own backyard, it's a little easier to get to it. You remember Somerville Speedway? You mentioned you used to go there back in the day. It's no longer here. It's a nice neighborhood, but it's no longer it's no longer a racetrack. Myrtle Beach is located on 501. Not only do they do racing over there, they also have other events that happen inside that facility. It's going away. They're selling it out to builders and homemakers, and that's to me is. It's a very sad situation. I've seen it in my hometown in Surfside Beach where they've taken down basketball goals and, and built things, and they've taken away the, air arca- the open-air arcades and things and have made it businesses. And it's like if you take too much away, where are these guys going to go to play? You know, you look at the Grand Strand on, on Ocean Boulevard, and, you know, it, it, it makes me sad every time somebody shares on Facebook a picture of what the pavilion used to look like with everything there. And now it's a, you know, because you can't wait to go to Myrtle Beach and get into this huge zip line. Nobody ever says that, by the way. That's not even a thing. But it's there, and it sits there, and it just, just sits there. So it's, uh, it's one of those things that in time there's change, but you've got to change with it. We've got to take a quick change and take a break. We're going to come back at some point. I'm not sure when, uh, of course, Jake Shelton's going to join us. He is a uh, driver. He drives the hauler for the number 2017, J.J. Yaley. I think he's in the top 15 right now. He was leading uh, just a few laps ago, but he's falling back through – all the pit road incidents and, and things like that. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. 
We'll talk a little bit more. We've got a loaded show, guys. Hang tight. You want to dial in, catch up, come on in. 323-784-9681. That's the number to call in and hang out with us, guys. You're listening to Southern Sports Central Live right here on Blog Talk Radio, guys. We'll be right back. a bit of a break from the norm just a little something to break the monotony of all that hardcore dance that has gotten to be a little bit out of control it's cool to dance but what about a groove that soothes and moves romance give me a soft subtle mix and if it ain't broke then don't try to fix it and think of the summers of the past adjust the bass and let the alpine blast pop in my cd and let me run around and put your car on cruise and lay back because it's summertime But back then I didn't really know what it was But now I see what happened is The way that people respond to summer madness The weather is hot and girls are dressing less And checking out the fellas to tell them who's best Riding around in your Jeep or your Benzos Or in your Nissan sitting on Lorenzo's Back in Philly we be out in the park A place called the Plateau is where everybody goes Guys out hunting and girls doing likewise Honking at the honey in front of you with the light eyes she turned around to see what you beeping at. It's like the summer's a natural aphrodisiac. And with a pen and pad, I compose this rhyme to hit you and to get you equipped for the summertime.
Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm Rich Yellman alongside the coach, Eugene Benton. This segment brought to you by our friends over at the Tent Farm, located at 7634 South Railroad in North Charleston, South Carolina. Of course, you can find them on the web at tentfarm.com. You can find them on the phone at 843-297-4131. Of course, for all of your shade needs, anywhere from your house to your business to your car, whatever it is, they will definitely help you out with that. And we're waiting at any point here to be joined live from the infield of Darlington Motor Speedway for the first race since the shutdown of the world and, of course, the United States and the sports world. Uh, NASCAR is the first, and it looks like Jimmy Johnson is uh, getting towed away there uh, as uh, he slaps the wall. Of course, Jimmy Johnson uh, in his final race uh, season here. No, excuse me, that's Jeff Gordon's old car. So, again, uh, just trying to watch it while we're live here on the air with you. But here in just a few minutes, we'll be joined by – Jake Shelton, again, he is uh, one of the uh, drivers with the hauler of the car number 27 for driver J.J. Yaley. He's been around the sport for quite some time, running around uh, the circles of NASCAR. Of course, uh, Jake also is in charge of the gasoline over there. So uh, I've seen some pictures throughout today. Uh, Jake and I kind of go back a bit. We work together in, uh, for the Budweiser Company, matter of fact. But uh, I believe he's joined us now. And let's head to Darlington Motor Speedway without further ado. What's up, Jake? Hey, what's going on? How you doing? We're good, man. You're high strung. You're upbeat, man. If you guys are yeah, it's kind of crazy. I'm not able to hear you. I actually came back. Uh, came back to the hauler. I gotta still listen to the radio. Uh, we're we're at a good point where you know I'm not fueling for a minute, so I gotta run. Uh, hand the fuel can over the wall, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to call in, man. It might be brief, but you know, I just you know told you I'd call you, bud. Well, I appreciate your call. Of course, this is Jake Sheldon. He is the uh, he's a driver for the hauler for the number twenty seven, yeah. JJ Yaley. He's also one of the gas men. Uh, Jake, man, what's it like being back to work, buddy? Yeah, can you hear us? Not sure if Jake can hear us there. Jake, you got us, buddy? Well, he dropped off there. So again, he's calling us live from the infield of uh, of the race there, Eugene. You can hear him talking about handing the gas can over and doing this and doing that. And, again, uh, just to have a guy call in and, and kind of tell us a little bit uh, is, is a big deal. We're going to try to get him one more time. Let's see if he can hear us. Uh, Jake, can you hear us, buddy? How about it, Jake? You got us? All right, so, Eugene, I'm going to let you kind of talk a little bit about, you know, you can hear it in his, his voice here. I'm going to text him real quick and kind of tell us uh, what we're thinking, and he'll kind of repeat back, uh, I guess, from the response. Yeah, you know, one of the things I saw in the rules, you know, when they were talking about this race is that the gas guys have uh, some of the biggest uh, restraints on them, you know, with the mask and the gloves and everything else. So he might have to uh, suit up and go do the gas thing and come back and take off his equipment. But, uh you know, I, I think the, the the Intel guys have the hardest job, you know, because they have to do their normally do normal duties, and it sounds like they have to suit up in uh, PPEs as well. Yeah, a lot of PPE, a lot of safety restrictions here. They have distanced the haulers in the infield. Um, you know, we have to see, and he said he had to head back, uh, bad connection, and, and we kind of thought that might happen. We weren't sure, uh, but you kind of started seeing you hearing his voice here. We're, we'll get back in here with him when he gets – uh, maybe Tuesday night we'll check back in here with him and uh, and see what happens and be able to get back with us, if you will. But, you know, for, for to get – and we talked about this in between breaks, whether you're a fan of NASCAR, maybe you're a fan of just sports in general, 
this is a sign of hope. This is what hope looks like, and it's going in a circle today, and it's going to go down a football field tomorrow and a baseball field the next day because even nationally and worldwide, I did see that there is some soccer going on in other countries. And in Japan, if I'm not mistaken, there's baseball happening. So they are starting to get back to normal. So that is a good thing. And I believe somewhere around July 4th, don't quote us on the date, Eugene, as you and I have talked about it. We've had other guests come in here, and we've had this conversation with them before. But it looks like um, – it looks like when it's all put together that we may have baseball coming back around 4th of July, and it is America's pastime, as they always coin it. It's kind of a perfect fit. Yeah, and, you know, we talked about how they're looking at combining the league into three divisions total, and I think there was some big uh, dispute this week or some type of uh, they're trying to work it out with whether they're just going to do all teams would have a, um, a designated hitter or not. You know, because usually it depends on which home field you're going to be in. Um, but, hey, just, just going back to that, I did pull up that rule. Uh, so the infield guys, they're limited to 16 people total on each roster. And if you're not – if a person on the infield is found not to be using the PPE as mandated, they will be asked to immediately uh, – they will be removed from the track. And fines will be up to $50,000 to the team. Wow. So, yeah, that's pretty – you know – He's, he's probably under some uh, a lot of heated pressure there to try to get his job done as well as, uh, you know, uh, complying with the new rules because that can be hefty fine plus, you know, going when you're already limited to 16, you know, I'm sure no team wants to go down a man. No, and, and that's something. So the limitations are there. You wonder how this kind of stuff is. We're going to try to the next 19 minutes uh, kind of talk a little bit about uh, what new rules may be seen as some of the sports start to kind of come back into effect here. You, you know, you look at the NBA, and I want to say this, first of all. Um, when you start to kind of put things in to, uh, to play, I've really enjoyed watching a lot of these athletes, by the way, why they have free time is interact. Uh, you know, uh, you look at uh, LeBron James on Friday night, and he did this with a multiple amount of famous stars and individuals where they basically had a, if I think it was a, a Zoom or some type of Skype graduation the kids all across the country, man, that is, that's one of the reasons I love LeBron James. I mean, this guy, I'm not going to compare him to being the GOAT or not being the GOAT, different times, different, different things, different teams, different a lot of things between him, Kobe, and Michael Jordan. But I'm going to tell you right now, in this era right now, he's one of my favorites, if not my favorite, in the sport of basketball and the NBA because it's not just what he's doing on the court because the kid's really good. I mean, the guy's really good at playing basketball. There's no doubt there. But look at what he does off the field. Look at how he's handling himself off the field. But, but even with these guys, the NBA, to me, is going to have a very hard time getting this thing back probably more than any other sport because it's only five guys and they are all very close, Eugene. Yeah, no doubt, man. And, see, that's the thing. is like with the NBA, you got, the, you got I think, what is it, a uh, 14-man roster or something like that. But when you look yeah, at baseball, I think. you – when you look at baseball, whether it's the travel roster or I don't, I don't know if it's, you know, you have to cut guys on the road uh, like other sports in the major leagues, but, you know, they're all in a dugout, you know, and they're all sharing equipment, you know, whether it be touching balls or bats or this, that, the other, you know, and you got the bat boy, you know, handing equipment to people. I think that's going to be the issue, you know, and you got guys in there, you know, spinning and, and chewing seeds and what this, that, and the other, you know, I think that's just, that's just what the kicker is because, 
you know, you got a dugout full of guys, you know, and they're all shoulder to shoulder in the dugout and touch, slapping hands and, and everything else like that. Today, you know, and I noticed that today, you know, somebody would do something well and one of the trainers would just kind of stick his hand up and be like, you know, virtual high five, good job, you know, from six feet away. And, right. You, know, you can't do that in the confines of a dugout. And, you know, and, and I wonder, you know, which, which I know NASCAR is leading the way with it, you know, with no fans in the stands, but can some of these other sports, you know, survive that? Just because of, you know, a lot of the sports, take, for example, uh, the Cardinals with Bush, Bush Stadium. Can you imagine right. how much money and revenue is generated from, uh, from the beer sales, from the food sales, from the concessions, sure. things like that? You know, I mean, how long, especially the small market teams, how long can they survive if they had no fans in the stands? So, you know, I'm sure they're, they're trying to just say, hey, you know, let's get this back when we can run it full bore because otherwise, you know, you, it, it costs. It costs to run teams. you got contracts. you got salaries. You know, and I'm sure none of the baseball players uh, really wanted to take that half-year cut in salary. If you're making, you know, uh, the league minimum, you know, you're cutting half. I'm not saying that, you know, there aren't guys that are making $20 million and getting cut down to $10 million. I'm sure a lot of people would say, oh, boo-hoo. You know, you still make $10 million right. for half a season, but – you know, that's the thing. That's the kicker is going to be, you know, the, the downstream revenues. It's not just, you know, having it on TV, but the revenues of all the concessions and things like that. And, of course, you know, the jobs related to that. Those folks are, you know, been they've been working since April 1st, you know, and going into July. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. I, I really think they're, they're going to do it. It sounds like they've, you know, have enough um, experts in there. And, you know, they're already putting together schedules and leagues and things like that. Like I said, they, there was a big debate this week on whether they have designated hitters in all parks, and so uh, I really that just tells me that now they're they're working out the fine details. You know, for me, and again, I look at baseball, I look at things, but even NASCAR. While we get that these guys are here and we understand this sport is happening, and we are now getting to this part of everything, right? At the end of the day, for me. You know, there are other things that are not being done right now. There is no concession stand, right? There's no ticket sales, okay? There is no things happening on the grounds of Darlington Motor Speedway. But how about, like, the restaurants? That this right, time but- of year, Darlington Motor Speedway, they thrive and drive. I grew up in, in Myrtle Beach. Darlington was part of our region in sports. We grew up kind of working together, playing sports against these kids. And this is a season to – it would be like if they told Myrtle Beach, you cannot have a summer. There is no summer vacations. There's no summer. That is their income is this race coming up and, and why they're going to be there for the next two weeks. Fans aren't there. People right. aren't going to go drive to go watch it in the parking lot. I agree. And that, but to me, that's, that's the difference is, you know, NASCAR, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying anything negative about NASCAR at all, um, you know, because it, it's a huge sport. It's a global sport. It has a huge following. Uh, I think they average the most fans in the fans of any sport uh, out there. However, you know, it's a traveling, and, and I don't want to use this term, it's almost like a traveling um, amusement park or a fair, right. like a fair where it comes to town. But, like, for example, a baseball team, you know, they have a full season. They have something like 82 home games. That's 82 times that those people and those, you know, the concession workers and things like that, the parking lot attendants, all these people go to work at 82 times. With NASCAR, you know, Darlington used to have two races a year, and it got cut back to one. So it's kind of like, a, you know, you got your big event, and it makes a ton of money, but then it moves on to the next town. 
Um, whereas, you know, a lot of the major league sports, you know, the baseball, the football, the hockey, the basketball, they have all these home games. And each week, you know, so, you know, for baseball, you can have a four game home stand. You can have, you know, five or six games in a week at home. And so that's their livelihood. And, and they go to work every day as opposed to, you know, well, I work this one. And then, you know, it's kind of like a, a weekend job, you know, for our NASCAR race. And then it moves on from Garland to say, you know, uh, Pennsylvania. Or even you know the Texas or something like that. So, you know, I, I think it's there. I think NASCAR is probably a little more um, able uh, as a sport in general for, for the business, the NASCAR brand, to be able to have them, you know, travel each to week and just have you know it on TV. Whereas these other sports, you know, like I said, you know, it, it's four or five games a week at home that all these people are used to this income. So it's just a little different in that aspect. Yeah, and I get that point, you know, for sure. But this, again, you know, when you when you look at small towns like this, I mean, Wilkesboro used to be a NASCAR town. You used to have Rockingham, big NASCAR town, because that was their income. It's almost like if you look at back in the old days with the coal miners and things like that where they're setting down the steel mills in certain places. Look at Anheuser-Busch. You mentioned St. Louis. Did you mention St. Louis this minute ago? I did. And, you know, you can also equate that to golf. Look at how much money the Masters sure. brings into Augusta. You know, exactly. it's a win. Exactly. And the, the correct term is called a windfall. And it's a windfall for these areas. That's their, you know, the Somerville talked about it with the, um, with the Azalea Festival. It was, you know, right. millions brought into these communities. It's their windfall. But that's also when they're budgeting, you know, these local governments like Darlington budget the revenues right. for the year. That windfall is cal- calculated in there because they, they've had it for so many years running. It was almost a given, and now they don't have that windfall, so what are they going to do? Right. Where is it going to come from? And I think that's one of the things that we start to kind of look at, and, and I believe they are actually in Darlington for the next two weeks uh, where they'll race here at, at a track that usually they're there on Labor Day. It doesn't. I'm not sure if they'll go back on Labor Day after being here for two weeks. But to me, it's, it's just one of those things that, that you kind of look at. Uh, you mentioned other things like the Kentucky Derby, there's just certain events that that's that one time, the windfall, like you mentioned, Eugene, that happens, the bridge run that's going to be in the hottest time of the year, hope not, but in August. The money that that thing brings to Charleston, the, the, the Azalea Festival, that if you've been to it once, you've been to it a thousand times, but for whatever it is, it brings revenue to the economy within the city limits that it comes to. So there are certain things that you look at. It's just good to see some NASCAR of any sport within the United States, I know last night they had a, 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 a fan free, not free as in you get in free, but no fans at all at the MMA fight last night, right? And that happened in Jacksonville, Florida. And it looks like they're trying to wait until the end of May where they're going to have another one. And they're hoping by then they can go back to their hub, which is going to be in Las Vegas, where they can kind of get back to their normal business. They maybe start to get some fans involved because, again, while you hear NFL and you've heard – those guys who do the broadcast there say that they're going to be pumping noise through your speakers. It's still not going to be the same. I'm watching NASCAR right now, and, and while they're going 200 miles an hour, 180 miles an hour around this short track, you know, you look in the stands, you don't see anybody, but you normally don't see anybody anywhere during NASCAR because they don't focus on the stands as much as they do the cars. So really, to me, NASCAR is probably, even though financially it's, it's affected, when it comes to the, to, to the, to the fans in the stands, as far as us the viewers at home, it looks the same right now that it did 10 years ago. 
Yeah, I agree, and and uh, that's why I said for the brand and for the business or or the corporate entity NASCAR, it's probably right. okay to have it on on just TV, you know, with nobody in the stands. But where it hurts is the local communities, like we said, you know, that windfall for Darlington, or or that windfall for Augusta with golf, or like we talked about on the show last time, that that windfall for for the city of Columbia by hosting the women's regional for round, you know, one and two. So I think the brand, right. the corporate entity for NASCAR would be okay because they still have the TV and the commercials, but that's not going to help Darlington. You know, the, the town of Darlington and the county, you know, with their revenues. But, you know, and then, again, for the other sports, you know, the, those guys, you know, the, the Major League Baseball teams, they get kickbacks. You know, part, part of the revenue stream for those teams is being able to sell the concessions. You know, the, the, the beer companies, you know, uh, negotiate, you know, well, we're only going to sell my brand here, but we're going to give you X amount of dollars no matter how much we sell. So that right. that affects them week, day in, day out. It's not a, it's not a you know, a one time a year or two times a year thing like a NASCAR coming to your town. But then again, like we were talking about, you know, on TV, that's, you know, it's probably great for the corporate brand, but, you know, it just, it just hurts those towns. It hurts the, the locations that, that hosts a thing, everything from concessions and ticket sales to hotels and VRBOs and, you know, it, it, the tax dollars for the, you know, for the county and things like that, the sales taxes. Yeah, I agree. Now, later in the show, around 830, one of Tennessee Volunteers' own, Kenny Salomon, of course, he's from the Grand Strand up there at the Socrates High School uh, area where he graduated from uh, a couple years ago. Now, he's a dual sport. He runs track in the spring, and he plays football in the fall, and he's done great things early in his career there as a volunteer. But they actually made a headline, and one of those was by 24-7 Sports on how Neyland Stadium would look different during the social distancing. And you kind of put numbers together, and Eugene, you're one of the number guys on the show. One fan for every six feet apart, at 16% capacity, or roughly 16,400 fans. Two seats together, 18% capacity at 18,400 fans. A combo of singles, doubles, and triple seats equals a maximum capacity of 35% or only 35,800 there in the stands at Neyland Stadium. Remember, it was not long ago that these stands were getting packed out. They were putting seats on top of seats on top of seats because they wanted to break, right? They wanted to break. The, 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 what the, the, the record on who could put the most butts in the seats and the stands. And, of course, you know, Penn State does a great job with it. Neyland Stadium, one of the best at it. But you're going to start seeing that come to play. I mean, you know, you can even go through some of the churches because they're trying to figure that out as well here on Sunday mornings where my church actually still doing the video thing on the TV screens and on your phones. But there's going to have to be some, some strategic measures and some safety measures placed as we get back to this new normal. My question is, when baseball kicks back up in July, hopefully as early as July or as late as July, how does that work out on the seat capacity? Does it go, you know, if you're a family of four, you can get those four seats, but if not, then there's three seats in between each other, and does that leave a row empty in between, right? So one row has people, the next row is empty, the next row has people, and so on and so forth backwards. You know, I guess some money is better than no money, and some stands our fans are better than no fans, but how do you handle this? You know, and, and here's here's the kickers. You know, you and I go to a game, and you know, we we may get you know the special tickets for coaches or or, or things like that. But if you look at that fifth, you know, between the forties on both sides, that's the big money donors. Not, they don't just pay for those that one ticket. That, you know, 
$200 a ticket. They buy blocks of four, and they've been on the donor list paying, you know, $20,000, $30,000 sometimes a year for 10, 15 years to keep those magic, those, those great seats. So if they have to be distanced, that's not only just the seat cost of, of a package of, of a couple thousand dollars, but, you know, you got that person on, on row one, so apparently there can't be a group on row two or row three. So that's probably, you know, that could be up to $100,000 lost just for that two rows just to sit behind those people. So then you got to go to row four. Right. Okay, so they'll get tickets. And then you got to debate on, all right, who are we going to sell tickets to? You know, you have to put it out right. there. So with the trickle-down effect, that might just seem there's no – there's no tickets for those uh, people who are trying to buy it because obviously they're going to find seats for the big money donors. That's how they keep the program afloat. And so, uh, right. you know, that, that, that could be moved around where it's almost like uh, only certain folks, you know, the wealthier guys, uh, get those good tickets or get tickets at all. You know, if you got right. uh, 16,000 or 30,000 people in a 100,000-seat stadium, it might be very limited to just those who are – who've been donating or who are these big members of the clubs, you know, like the Gamecock club and club and the full scholarship donor club. I'm sure they want to keep those folks happy because they've been donating for years and, and, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes too. Cause that, you know, it could turn into uh, only those with a lot of money and who've been donating get tickets. So <laughs> scary times, you know, especially like I said, for the little guys. And then of course, if you're a school out there and you're trying to get some recruits, you got to come up with tickets and, and social distance spaces for uh, the recruits and their parents. So that's three tickets. So that bumps out nine more people. So, you know, who do you bump? <laughs> that could be – that's going to be the uh, the headache for athletic directors if it comes to that. Well, you know, here locally in, the, in, in Dorchester County, they have opened up in Berkeley County. I think even they're going to do the same. I'm not sure in Charleston County, but it sounds like at least Berkeley – in Dorchester County, they're doing football stadium graduations. And I've heard the number two in Dorchester County, and that may have gone up to four, and I've heard the number four directly over Berkeley County, and it's the same thing. How do you pick and choose? And, and I've heard some athletes that, that have individually told me, well, I'm not going because I can't have no more than four. Young man, I get this, okay? I get that your feelings are hurt, the grandmas and grandpas, and, but it's not about grandmas and grandpas. It's about you. It's about you having the experience of walking across that stage and getting something to do that your school here in the low country hasn't done in a long time. I'm talking in the 90s that they haven't graduated on a football field. So that's an, that, that to me is, is worth every bit of it because I would – no not to the Coliseum, but, man, it is a dismal, dismal day. Even hockey games in there are kind of depressing to me. It's so dark and gloomy. It's like it's just not a good feeling. I would rather be on a football field, let mom or dad FaceTime it and video it or whoever, hand somebody your phone and let them zoom in on you so they can watch you on Facebook Live. Get creative. You guys are yeah, – this generation is going to be incredible when they become adults because they've been challenged from 9-11 to this epidemic to that epidemic. But to, to, to kind of put it all in perspective, got to do something. we got to figure something out. we got to move this ball in the right direction. We do have to take a break because we are here hoping to join uh, with a coach from the state of Georgia. We'll take it now, of course, to Atlanta, Georgia, where Cedar Grove's very own – Coach Miguel Patrick is on hold. I believe he's coming up right after this. So uh, we'll catch up with him. We'll find out what's his plan and how excited he had to be, man, because I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of coaches in the Palmetto State, when they saw that thing come across that they're going to start hitting pads in July, they were thinking, hmm, man, that must be nice. Wish we were doing that. 
We'll check in with the coach. We'll find out what the Saints are doing, if they're marching in July or not. You're listening to Southern Sports Central Live right here on Southern Sports Central Blog Talk Radio. We'll be right back, guys. And welcome back. Hour one is done. Hour two is upon us here on Southern Sports Central. A bright, beautiful day here on a Sunday. It is the 17th day of May. It's 7 o'clock, hour two. Now sponsored by Gurren's Pharmacy, located at 140 South Main Street, downtown Summit Hill. Located, of course, uh, in the bright city lights of, uh, of Town Square. You can find them on the web at gurrenspharmacy.com. And you give them a shout, 843-873-2531. Without further ado, we head back to the Tent Farm hotlines with one and only he is a championship coach it's just in their blood over there i don't know what they're feeding them or giving them to drink in atlanta georgia but they do it in big fashion coach miguel patrick joins us now from cedar grove what's up coach hey what's going on richie how you doing good man so you're traveling i'm not going to say where you're coming from or where you're going but i am going to say <laughs> that we appreciate you <laughs> i'm going to say i appreciate you giving us some, some love on the show man we talked about you guys on thursday night as uh a former uh, co-host of mine showed up last uh, Thursday night on the air with me, the final hour at 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock, Darnisha. And uh, we talked yep. a lot about Cedar Grove and, and all of you guys and your former coaches. And uh, you know the way I look at it, man, you're doing big things yourself over there, man. The, the standard is set, and, and you keep taking it to the next level, man. So uh, how are you maintaining during this lockdown? And at least you guys in the state of Georgia, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. It looks like mid-July. Well, um, that hasn't been confirmed just yet, but, um, you know, we're going to continue to stay ready each and every day. Just, you know, so once we get a confirmed hard date, we're going to be ready to hit the field. So, you know, we've been doing, um, you know, a few things, a few different things. We've been doing uh, group team Zoom sessions and uh, group and team Zoom sessions, I'm sorry. So we have um, our coaches working with our guys, you know, scheme stuff, um, as, as units, and then we do uh, daily, we do a workout um, as a team um, via Zoom. So those are just some of the small things that we've been trying to do to, you know, stay ahead of the curve and keep our guys in some type of shape. You know, it's not going to be exactly what um, it would, would be if we had the weight room and everything, but we, we want to be as far ahead as we, we possibly can, um, you know, once we get a hard date so we can get back out there and get at it. We're live right now with the head coach of the Cedar Grove Saints over there. Coach Miguel Patrick joins us now live on the road as he is calling in on, of course, the Tim Farm Hotlines on a beautiful Sunday evening. Coach, uh, how hard has it been to stay in touch with these kids, though, man? I mean, I know that I watch them, and I don't know whether, you know, it's just in their blood, but uh, your kids are working as hard as uh, the off season as they do during the season. You know, what does that come to? And, and, and tell us a little bit about the culture of the Saints and how you guys just continue to do great things on and off the field when it comes to scholars and, and of course, uh, athletes? Well, I think, um, like you said, we just built a culture um, between me and my assistants. Um, We just built that culture of, you know, the expectation of, you know, being great every day. Um, We we don't accept mediocrity in anything, not in the classroom, not in the field, not in practice, um, especially not in games. So we kind of – you know, make sure we we hold our guys to that standard each and every day, and they know they know the standard. And uh, a lot of them, 
bought into it real early, and some of them bought into it even in middle school uh, in our feeder program. So it, it's something that, you know, is generated not over just one or two years. It's something that we've been working on for um, almost eight to nine years now, just generating and building that culture each and every day. Coach, when you start to look at it, we talked about this with you on the air, and, again, we enjoy having coaches on because it gives us a different point of view. You guys are in the trenches. You guys are hands-on and, 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 of course, handling the business not only on the field but off the field. But right now, academics are something that I heard a few kids talk to me about on Saturday as I was around about 15 different athletes uh, here in the low country. And, and the one kid looked at us and said, you know, the one thing that I hope is that everybody else, because he felt good about himself, he said, I hope everybody else is academically eligible. You know, with this thing being done, Coach, that has got to be a concern for all of you and your coaching staff because of the fact that they don't have – not everybody's got computers. Not everybody's got access to Internet, and I'm sure that there's opportunities for this to happen. But some kids struggle even when they're in school. How are we handling these athletes off, you know, campuses and making sure that the, the school work's turned in? Well, you know, that, that's that been the biggest part in this. And we've, we've got a great um, faculty and staff at Cedar Grove, and we've done um, – you know, checks frequently, um, almost daily, checking in on players' work. And um, and our teachers do a, a great job of communicating back with us um, quickly. If somebody hadn't turned something in or if they're, they're late on a few assignments. Um, so we've really just been really kind of doing, like, daily checks on these guys and making sure that they are on top of their schoolwork because, like you said, it would be so easy right now for a guy to fall through the cracks. And if you're not paying attention, you, one of your best players could end up ineligible just because, you know, you, you didn't do your diligence in making sure he was doing his schoolwork. And, and like you said, all these kids don't have computers. They don't all have the Internet. So, um, you know, you, you got to kind of help them help themselves by getting them what they need, if you know what I mean. I definitely do, as we're live with uh, the head coach over there with the Cedar Grove Saints. Of course, this is the one and only Coach Miguel Patrick, who has continued to do what they do since the day I was introduced to this program, and that's win. Not just win, but win state championships. And they don't just win in the state of Georgia. Oh, no, they will go anywhere, play anyone at any time. And it, it is very interesting how you guys travel. I mean, you guys go up there, I believe, to – uh, Colorado, you'll travel down to the tip top of Florida. It was a couple of years yeah. ago that you guys came, and, and I had a chance to to get one on one with a lot of you guys as you guys played Somerville in, in a week zero, week one for most of us we call it uh, game here in Somerville, and it was very impressive because not only did it look like you kids are, are not skipping any meals or, or the Wheaties or any of that over there, uh, the athletes that you guys had sitting there. Uh, you know, with all these offers from Alabama to Auburn to Georgia's to you name it, they were getting these offers. And, and you already know that you got kids all over the campus now across the SEC and the ACC. But you guys traveled with your fans as well. The band plays. Everybody was there. It was almost like a, a, a caravan of, of the entire town of Atlanta. But yet you guys see your challenges as opportunities. Coach, talk a little about that and, and what motivates this and your crowd and, of course, your supporters to – open these doors for you kids to go around and do what you do? Well, I mean, the biggest thing is we, we created um, an atmosphere of competition at, at, at the school and with the kids. So um, in doing that, you know, you kind of light a fire up under the fans and the community, and they want to see great football. And you can't just play great football against average football teams or teams that – 
you know, that that don't win often. So you got to kind of seek out, you know, powerhouses, uh, teams that are used to winning to get great football games. And when you play in great football games, you build a great team and you build great character within your team. So those are the types of things that we do. And once once we started doing that, our fans got on board 110%. Of course, the community got on board 110%, and the band and the school, all of those, you know, those uh, different entities got on board because they just wanted to see great football. And they knew we were going to put a good product out there on the field. And, um, you know, if we're playing another great team, our kids always rise to the occasion. So they just wanted to see that. We're live right now with the head football coach over there in Atlanta, Georgia. Cedar Grove's on, Coach Miguel Patrick. Now, Coach, there are that tree of coaches that, that travel from the state of Georgia to South Carolina to the college ranks of Arkansas, which I had a chance earlier to talk to Coach Jimmy, the running back coach for the Arkansas Razorbacks uh, today. Uh, but you've got Coach Parks there in, in the state of South Carolina who's been a coach there with you guys. There's another coach. Let's talk about this other coach in Georgia uh, he seems like he's got a pretty good situation. Talk about your relationship with him and any chance that you play. But you won't play Arkansas, but could you possibly play Coach Parks with this other coach we're talking about there in the state of Georgia? Oh, well, uh, we've been trying to get um, some games, you know, with Coach Parks, and we just hadn't been able to make it work yet. But I'm, I'm sure we'll get a date worked out um, one of these years. And then uh, <laughs> down at Griffin, that's uh, Coach Reed. We had we were actually going to scrimmage them for our spring scrimmage, so we will be we would have been scrimmaging them on Thursday had the coronavirus oh, wow. not shut everything down. So um, we all try to you know stay you know in contact with each other. We're always commenting on each other, or texting each other, or talking to each other over the phone. Man, we definitely try to stay in contact with each other. And um, yeah, me and Coach Parks, we're definitely we, we've been trying to get a date, and it just hadn't worked out just yet. Um, and same thing with Coach Reed. Like we, like I said, we were supposed to play them for the spring game, and, you know, that just got shut down. So, Well, I'll tell you what, whatever it is, and Coach Bonner is the head of this tree, as you guys have heard on this show before, is we've had multiple conversations about him. Of course, he's a track and field coach, I think, in the state of Tennessee in the college ranks. Yep. But it all started with him. How much does he still reach back out? And he's got to be pretty pleased with you and, and all your other colleagues that have coached over there at a place who by the way you share your stadium. Uh, yeah, there's another coach in South Carolina as well in the Columbia area, Coach Richardson. Which, um, yeah. uh, I, can't, I can't remember the name of his school right off the bat, but he also coached with us at Cedar Grove as well. Wow. And he's in the state of South Carolina. Um, he's the head coach over there. And I forgot the name of the school right outside of, uh, I want to say Columbia, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. But um, we talked to Coach Bonner I know I talk to him probably at least once or twice a month, and, you know, he's ecstatic that the program is where it is. And um, one thing he always said, and he, he said this to, to me, Coach Jimmy, and he, he said it to Coach Reed and Coach Park, that he knows how to pick winners. And he knew when he had all of us <laughs> that we were all winners. So <laughs> he always joked with us. He said, I, Coach, I might not be able to coach like y'all can, but I know I, I picked y'all. So Coach Bonner's just ecstatic <laughs> that the program is – is still doing well and um, actually gone to another level, um, you know, here in recent years. And, uh, you know, I try to keep in touch with him as much as I can, check on him and his wife. And um, he's he's come actually come down to a game or two since he's been gone. So, wow. 
Well, we're looking to come your way. Eugene and I have already kind of looked, and once they open some gates and they're open your campus, because we want to hit, of course, you know, Cedar Grove's backyard, and we've been invited by Coach Elliott and his group over there to go over to, uh, of course, Georgia State. We'll check that out. And, of course, Georgia Tech's over there. So, you know, there's a lot to do, and I don't know if we're going to have enough time to get it, but our main goal is to come see you, come see what you do. And you and I have kind of formed this bond and this friendship, which I really appreciate and thank God for, because, you know, when Coach Jimmy left, you know, he said, hey, the next man up, you're going to like him as much as me. Now, I played football goes, uh, against uh, Coach Smith over there. As he was in the Florence area, and I was in the Myrtle Beach area. Didn't realize right. it until we kind of went together to get you guys here in, in Somerville. But uh, when you look at it, you know, it's almost like a dream team. You think of the NBA, and I know there's the, the final show tonight with Michael Jordan and, and, and his, uh, you know, series. It's been incredible to watch on Sunday night as soon as we go up there at 9 o'clock. It's been kind of a nice segue. But that's mm-hmm. kind of what you guys were for Coach Bonner, a dream team. I mean, everybody there was an All-American coach. And, and of course, you're going to put out All-American athletes because it comes from the coaching, right? Yeah. I mean, when I look back at it and, and the talent that we had on that coaching staff is unbelievable. And, you know, now that most of us are head coaches and then Coach Smith is in the college ranks, man, it's, it's really unbelievable at the time that we were all, you know, we all kind of started together. And, um you know, they kind of knew they wanted to be a head head coaches, and I didn't really know I wanted to be a head coach. <laughs> I just kind of it just kind of fell in my lap, and uh, you know, I done took it and ran with it. But you know, it's just really unbelievable that caliber of coaches that that were together on that staff with Coach Bonner, man. And like he said, he he picked a good group of guys because we he didn't have to have us on his staff. We were all really really young and just fresh out of college, and you know, we were just eager to work, man. We were just eager to work and eager to learn from him because we knew how great he was and how the longevity and the profession that he had. So we were just eager eager to work for him and eager to learn from him. Yeah, I would totally agree. We're live with uh, the most recent successful coach over there at Cedar Grove. And win, 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 that's kind of what they do at the Grove is, of course, uh, the one and only Coach Miguel Patrick joins us now. He's coming off a state championship uh, another ring, man. I don't know. Did you guys have to build new, new? Uh, I'd, I'd say trophy cases there. What's it look like? Or where, where is this magical trophy case? Because I know right off the rip, y'all won. How many in the last six years have y'all won state championships? Uh, we won. In the last six, we won three. So we won three out of the last four, but we've been to six consecutive Final Fours. Wow. That right so we've been a lot of six consecutive stuff. Final Fours and, and won and won three of. Now, how do you keep them motivated, Coach? Because, you know, so many coaches, you know, I, I go into weight rooms and I go into facilities and I see that some of these high schools look like universities and, and things like that. But from what I understand, I haven't seen your field yet, but I heard the stories from multiple previous players, a firm uh, current player that we you know, we communicate with here as well, and, and just some of the other coaches, how they talk about you guys have to go down, and you've said this on the air, you actually have to go out there and wet the ground. You know, you have to you have to wet the, the dirt, if you will, so that it doesn't become a big smoke storm. Uh, when you guys are out there practicing, you go into certain other areas, and, again, you're sharing your stadium with other other schools, so that home field advantage is just a little different. You know, for some of these kids, they, they don't know that. They don't know that struggle, but yet y'all use that as a motivation. Kind of talk a little bit about your facilities and, and again, all the things that you guys go through that, that may not be normal for other high schools that you guys deal with day in and day out. Now I'm I'm gonna tell you we we are actually about to get blessed. So by the time you guys get down here, hopefully it's done. 
they are about to do redo our track and redo our field. So all that wet in the ground and stuff that I was talking about before is is going to be long <laughs> gone. So we're actually getting new field turf this year in our practice facility, which is going to help out tremendously. But for years, we you know we we had to we paint the field um, right before practice on the, on the really warm days. We have to go out there and wet the field so it is not real dusty. We have to cut the grass ourselves. Um, you know, we have a sled and a chute that has been there probably since the 70s. Um, you know, goalposts has probably been there since the 70s. And we just don't have all the stuff that some of these, you know, these top-tier programs have because we don't have the finances. Our county doesn't fund us like, um, you know, one of those top county schools and maybe in, in, in the state of Georgia. Like, we're not a Buford or we're not a Coldplay County or a Carrollton. That, that maybe have an indoor facility or things like that or this multi-million dollar weight room. Um, we're just pretty much doing what, what, dealing with what we have, and we do it with what we have. And when uh, right before Coach Smith left, after our 2016 state championship season, we actually bought new weight room equipment. And, no, it wasn't brand new. We, we actually um, had to buy it off a of school that was getting a brand new weight room. So it we, we kind of – took some hand-me-down stuff, but we make it work for us. And, uh, you know, our kids, they're just they, – they're really bought into what we sell them, and that's just hard work every day. And they and, and the, the fruits of the labor has shown. So, it, you you know, the proof is in the pudding. Now now it's just going to keep going and keep getting better each and every year. No doubt about it. We're live here wrapping up the interview with Coach Miguel Patrick. He's on the road heading back. To the Grove, Peter Grove's very own head football coach joins us here on Southern Sports Central for one of many great visits, Coach. And that's one thing I love about Southern Sports Central is that we are not just one side or that side. We try to wrap our arms around you guys, and we appreciate you allowing us to continue that relationship with you guys once you took over the helms. And I'm still working, man. I'm still trying to get you somebody in the great state of South Carolina. Like, I'd love to see you guys come down here and play Fort Dorchester. I think that'd be a heck of a home-and-home home game. You know, y'all can come here, and then they can go there. Maybe Somerville. You know, they've got a new coach over here at Somerville. Maybe, you know, they've got Coach Rafferty. Maybe he's like, hey, come on in. We'd love to do it. Maybe then Somerville can make that road trip to Atlanta. And I was hoping that was going to happen here after we played you guys, of course, uh, with me doing the radio broadcast, because uh, a road trip would be quite interesting. But uh, when you look at that, how hard is it to get guys? I know it's hard for you guys to get people to play you uh, in Atlanta and around Georgia, but – when you start reaching out to other states like Alabama, y'all played at South Carolina here in Somerville and then turned around the next week and we're on ESPN playing against a team in Alabama. How hard is it to get teams outside of your state to play you guys? Well, it's it's real tough um, for the simple fact that people know that Georgia football is good in, in the first place. So they know that we're going to have top-tier programs. They know the brand of football that the state of Georgia plays. And then when they do research on us and then they see we've won state championships and we've put out all these good players, that just makes it even tougher um, just because they don't think they can compete. And I don't think they know that, you know, it, it as good as we are or as good as we can be, that, that doesn't mean that they can't compete, man. We just we just love good football, good quality football. There's good quality football in each and every state. And, we you know, we just look for it you know, the best teams to try to compete against in, in, in each and every state. So um, it, it, it's gotten tougher over the years, I'll tell you that. Well, now, it's not in stone yet, but the word on the street, of course, through a couple of articles, has Georgia high schools provide the roadmap to starting a season on time. Now, one would be teams could 
begin a two-hour helmet, shoulder pad, and short helmets on July 13th through July 24th. And then after that, teams could hold a full practice by July 27th. Now, your thoughts before I get you out of here. They say it's the heat that's going to, of course, um, kind of kill this thing off a little bit. And then the social distancing and all. Kind of give us your thoughts and process, maybe starting a little early or maybe they push us back a little bit. What's your kind of diagnosis from a head coaching point of view? And I know you guys have tried to X and O this thing to death, but what's your thoughts on where this is and where do we start and where do we finish when it's all said and done in 2020? Yeah, I would, you know, I would err on the side of caution as far as starting. I would rather start later and, and, and maximize what we could of a season than starting early and then have to shut everything down. You know what I mean? So if we had to right. start a little bit later, a couple weeks later, so we can get our kids in great shape, you know what I mean, first and foremost, so we don't have a, a, a whole bunch of injuries. And then the second thing, to make sure it's safe for the kids to compete against each other, I would rather do that with maybe the later season, maybe a couple weeks, and then play as much as we could instead of starting earlier and then getting to a season where we, we have a whole bunch of injuries and, uh, you know, maybe the – the, the coronavirus uh, peaks back up, um, and then you have to shut the season down. So I would say, in, in my opinion, I think we should maybe hold it off maybe a couple more weeks and then, you know, and then start a little bit later. And, and if you had to do that, then you would miss the, maybe the non-region game and then just play your region schedule and then, and then play, play the playoff through. And I, and I, think, that would be, I think that would be a great season still. Yeah, I would agree because I think that's one thing that it's going to be good definitely for the teams that are probably a little bit better than the other teams in the region. It, it would probably affect the at-large teams because how are you going to play that at-large game in there and in and out of there when it comes across uh, with region games. Now, the final thing that I want to ask you for me, of course, is the fact that you've got guys that it's rare. I mean, it's rare for you guys not to put half your team, you know, out there playing Division One football. What, what do you know? I, at top of your head, and I don't want to, you know, at, at a disadvantage, we're asking you a question that you may or may not know right off the top. But a mm-hmm. guesstimate: What's your average athlete coach that you're putting in Division One year after year that you're talking about Power Five or maybe even a very strong outside Power Five school right now? Uh, you saying how many we put in per year? Yeah, what's your average athlete number-wise? Because I know when you guys came to Somerville two years ago, we looked at your roster, and Coach Smith highlighted, I think maybe you and some other coaches kind of helped me out with the kids that were going to Alabama. There were two kids that were looking to go to Alabama, somebody Ohio State. I mean, these were offered kids. that they, All they had to do was say that's where they want to go. You know, and it was probably about 12 kids that were ready to unload and go to a, a very, I would say, if not a power five, definitely a real respectful Strong program around the country. I would say I would say probably between between ten and fifteen kids per year. Um, and you're talking about this this twenty one class is, is 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 really well well rounded. Now we don't have a a whole bunch of power five, uh, you know, offers in that twenty one class, but they all have solid Division one offers. And then my twenty two class may be one of the best classes in the nation where I have um, four to five kids that, you know, are, are four, four star kids um, and, you know, are ranked by, you know, ESPN rivals, 24 seven, things like that. So um, we have a, a, a good amount of talent in, you know, in the Southeast Atlanta area 
in Ellenwood, and um, the kids do a great job of just working their hardest to, you know, be the best that they possibly can be, and and the coaches too. That I can't take anything away from my coaches, my 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 assistants, man. They do such a such a good job with these kids individually, and they coach them up very very well. So. You know, it, it, it's it's about the kids, but it's, some of it is about the coaching that they're receiving as well. And, and this coach Benton, just to piggyback on that, uh, you know, I was just reading one of the NTSA just shared that the NCAA has shut down. You know, that one on one or in person scouting or recruiting by colleges through July 30th. Uh, what are you guys doing right now to kind of help your kids? You know, promote your kids and get them out there. I, I'm sure you're probably having phone conversations or. Are you guys doing any type of Zoom conversations with uh, college recruiters? You know, what are you guys doing, you and your staff, to kind of tr- try to promote those kids and get them out there? Oh, definitely. We're 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 um, definitely on the phones. We're FaceTiming. We're Zooming. Um, we're sending our prospect list out um, probably to at least 20 schools per day. Um, so, you know, just so they, they, they're familiar with our kids' names, and on that prospect sheet, we're going to have their names, you know, um, size, weight, um, ACT, SAT scores, GPA, and, um, you know, all their contact information. So, And also what we try to do is uh, we try to maximize um, on our new um, our social media site uh, is at FB Cedar Grove uh, Football. So we try to put out all the content from our from our season or highlights and stuff like that and highlight our kids on our on our social media sites as well. Well coach, I can't tell you enough, man. It's rare for me to reach out. You don't answer your phone, you don't respond with a text, you don't do whatever I need you to do and I, it takes coaches like you to make our program as good as it is and for us to be able to get such a a widespread of great coaches to come on here and you're one of the many coaches that that, that just really pour into what I believe in and Again, I want to tell you this a hundred times over that this is your platform. Anytime we can help you out in your your your, uh, your high school over there at Cedar Grove in Atlanta, uh, we'd love the opportunity. Now we are going to do. It's going to be called the Dream Team. We're going to do a Cedar Grove special. I'm just trying to get through some of this coronavirus stuff so that I can get all of you guys. Of course, uh, you know you, Coach Reed, Coach Parks, Coach Smith, Coach Bonner, right, and and the other gentleman that you yep. talked about as well, Coach Richardson, and uh, yep. we'll we'll figure it out. I'll let y'all talk. I'll push buttons, but. I think that'd be a heck of a two or three hour show, huh? Oh man, that'll that'll be that'll be a heck of a show right there. <laughs> Especially if we get the if we can get the old ball coach on there, we can get Ray Bonner on there, it'll, it'll turn into something special. Well, we're gonna do our best. If I gotta send Darnisha to uh Tennessee ourselves, then we'll do what we gotta do. But uh man, do us a favor, give that lady a hug when you see her, uh, when we get through the social distancing thing. I know she's got a lot oh, of weight, but um, yeah. You know, because of her, we have this great relationship with you and, and Coach Smith and everybody across the board, and even Coach Parks, who joins us on a regular basis as well, brother. Safe travels. We'll see you soon. I'm going to catch up with you tomorrow off the air because I do want to try to set something up with a game and a team that is interested in catching up with you guys. Yes, sir, man. I appreciate you guys. All right, buddy. God bless. Take care. Yes, sir. You too. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. That is the head ball coach from, of course, uh, the one and only Cedar Grove. He checks into uh, Southern Sports Central on a regular basis. Always a good time to catch up with these coaches outside of the normal low country, the, the upper side of the uh, the Grand Strand, up in the upstate of South Carolina in the Midlands, of course. So we, we, we get these guys on, and we appreciate all that they do, but it's fun to hear. What are they doing in Georgia? What are they doing in 
Californians. We have a coach from Cali that calls in all the way from San Diego. A couple coaches in Texas that check in with us. North Carolina and Mallard Creeks, they check in. Of course, we always have the Big O Olympic High School. They check in with us, and uh, so it's always a lot of fun. We take a lot of uh, yeah, we, we take a lot of blessings here on Southern Sports Central by having that connection. I do know the race is finally over. Uh, there's no fans in the stands, and, and the, the microphone looks like it's on a broomstick. It's not, but it definitely looks like it, Eugene. And Kevin Harvick, who led most of that race, uh, is able to uh, kind of come home and, and fashion and, and win this one at the first race back from this new epidemic that we're trying to get through. Yeah, and, uh, you know, he, he pushed that. We were talking about the, the, the car manufacturers. Uh, so the Ford ends up winning. It goes Ford, and then Bowman with Chevrolet, then uh Bush with the Chevrolet, then Elliott with the Chevrolet, and then Denny Hamlin comes in at fifth with the Toyota. Uh, I was trying to get the uh, the rest of the run down here from the top five, just waiting for this thing to refresh. But um, yeah, so it looks like it's over, and it looks like Harvick uh, pulled it out, pulled out the win. Um, here we go, and you know, then seven with Reddick at Chevrolet, Jones at eighth with Toyota, Nemechek at ninth with the Ford, and then uh, Matt Kenseth. I recall him being a popular driver in the Chevrolet yep. at number 10. So, uh, yeah, it looks like only – we were talking about the Toyotas earlier. Uh, it looks like only one finished in the top 20. So, kind of interesting how that was, you know, earlier on with uh, less than 100 laps left, there were four in the top 10, and uh, only one finishes in the top 20. So, I'm sure those guys will get back to the drawing board and figure out what happened there. Well, the good news is I think, and again, you might want to look it up, but I'm pretty sure they're actually staying there. Now, the, the, the drivers go home after this race, right? And usually these drivers are, are flying out of helicopters after this race. I mean, it's like one helicopter after another helicopter flying them back to uh, their hub, which is Charlotte, North Carolina. But these guys are driving. Usually they have their kids with them. The kids aren't there. You know, it's a very kind of a in and out. And, you know, after riding around and around and around for the last three or four hours, you think they'd be tired of driving, but they've got at least two more hours unless they've got somebody meeting them uh, outside the racetrack and they're going to get somebody to kind of carpool them home. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing is, like, you know, the travel is just going to be a weird thing, too. These guys have to load up these 18-wheelers. I mean, you remember just going through the state of Florida when you went to visit for a couple of days. You know, you had to pull over and get your temperature checked. Yep. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of things. And, you know, our, just just thinking back to uh, running operations for a high school football team, I can only imagine running operations for a NASCAR team, you know, where they're going all over the country week to week. You know, you've got to have people, as soon as they're done with this race, they got to have these, uh, you know, trucks loaded up, and that might have been some cool things to ask uh, our guest if he was able, to, uh, Mr. Shelton, to stay on earlier. You know, because you got to pack things up and you got to get back on the road. You know, and you're going from here, there, and everywhere. You know, where are they going to stay? You know, their hotels and and some towns and some places still have things shut down. And you know, that's that's got to be a heck of a job, operations, and uh, you know, running that operation and getting everybody where they need to be and all the equipment and you know, cars and trucks and people and, geez, you know, the driver, you know, those those guys are uh, like superstars, man. They jump in a helicopter and can either fly home for a couple of days or, or fly to the next spot with uh, pretty much little ease, you know, and, and without little hassle. They don't have to go through airport screening and, and all the stuff that the regular Joes do. So uh, we'll be interested to see, you know, how they pack it up because this one they were able to plan for weeks, you know, to have everything, yeah. you know, ready to go. No, the next race they won't have that long, so it's going to be a, uh, you know, the old Chinese fire drill, as 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 uh, some of us have called it in operations. You got where you got to tear it down, 
store it, pack it up, see what you need. You know, any supplies you burn through, you got to stock back up and get back on the road. Yeah, it should be an interesting. We have hit the road and hit a quick break, guys. We are now getting ready for a legendary coach, a Hall of Famer on and off the football field in any community he puts his foot in. It's always a blessing to have him in here with us. Of course, the one and only Coach Chuck Reedy joins us here next as you're listening to Southern Sports Central Live right here on Blog Talk Radio, guys. Don't go anywhere. My family and I were suffering with no protection from the hot Carolina sun. I called the Tent Farm, and they told me about their line of ceramic window film. Now I have 99.9% protection from harmful UV rays for the ones that matter the most. You don't have to be a math teacher like me for those numbers to make sense. Don't be alarmed. Call the farm. I was driving in extreme Charleston heat. I couldn't take it any longer. I wasn't alarmed. I called the farm. I used to be the victim of bad tent. It was so horrible, I was embarrassed to be seen driving even in my own hometown. I called the tent farm, and they took care of me. I wasn't alarmed. I called the farm. I'm Jonathan Farmer, owner and founder of Tent Farm. Are you a victim of bad tent? Are you suffering from extreme heat? We here at the Tent Farm want to help you with these horrible conditions. Don't be alarmed. Call the farm. Hey, welcome everybody back to Southern Sports Central. You can you can find the Tent Farm on the web at tentfarm.com. You can find them on location at 7634 South Railroad in North Charleston. Now, this segment, we're going to give some love to the coach because, uh, well, right there at the Comeback Shack, located at 8915 University Boulevard in North Charleston, South Carolina, the best burgers in town and all around. Trust and believe me, you haven't had a good burger till you've stopped in there and said hello to the coach and his staff they've put together. Not only great service, but great food. Coach, Reedy joins us now. What's up, Coach? Hey, Richie. Uh, everything's good, man. Uh, you're you're right there at the center of uh, of uh, the biggest event in sports right now, I guess. <laughs> well, we're watching it. I've got a so I've got a guy right now who is a hauler. He well, he's a hauler. He's he's a driver for a hauler of the JJ Yaley team number twenty seven. Rick Ware Racing there in in Darlington, right? So he called in live yep. and. Because of everybody on the electronics, the reception wasn't great, but at least he said hello, and he kind of talked a little bit, and that was kind of the end of it. But uh, I can only imagine, you know, the excitement there, uh, Coach. But isn't it nice to get back, whether you're a NASCAR fan or not, isn't it nice at least to have some some sports back on, some live sports, kind of like we saw with the draft to some degree? Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, You know, we've – you know, hopefully we're going to get back to to a lot more of it here real soon. I know everybody, you know, certainly everybody that's a sports fan is, um, you know, is, uh, has had some withdrawal and, you know, looking forward to, you know, especially, you know, looking forward to fall with football coming up and hopefully we're going to be able to have a season. Yeah, let's hope so. Now, it's it's interesting watching these interviews, Coach, because it all looks like they're at a hospital because they have their hospital mask on, they're interviewing them with the social distant microphone. And, you know, it, it, it could be something that, you know, being a radio guy, Coach, uh, to be honest with you, this is going to be the year of the radio for me. I think radio is going to take back off in big fashion for not only high school but multiple sports because I don't know how many people are going to be so quick to go sit in the stands. But before yeah. we talk football and some sports, you know, the one thing I talked about, and this is kind of close to your uh, not only your pocket but your heart as well as food, with uh, you, you owning the business over there at the Comeback Shack. When you look at it, Coach, you know, the one thing that I mentioned to Eugene, who co-hosts the show with me, is that, you know, it's a sad day because this is a huge revenue for Darlington, South Carolina. This is that year that 
yeah. you know, that they all look forward to. The town loads up, the bars, the businesses, they all make a lot of money, and it's kind of get-rich program, right? That's kind of what it is. Yeah. Not happening right now, Coach. Uh, you know, how, how big yeah. a hit do you think Darlington took, even though they brought this race in today, and it looks like I think next week, but realistically, this is more for the viewer on TV than it is for the people there in Darlington. Yeah, oh, that you know, I, I can only imagine. Um, you know, as you said, I mean, Darlington is not a big town at all, and um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that um, that that one uh, weekend a year probably generates a very very large uh, percentage of uh, you know of the income for a lot of the people there, and um, you know, it's um, but you know that's. You know, it's it's just like um, the the college. I don't. You read, I'm sure, the article about the college graduations. Um, you know, my partners. You know, are in Boone, North Carolina, um, and you know the biggest, uh, the two biggest uh, weekends or weeks of of the year for them are the graduation of at Appalachian State, and uh, and then when the students come back in August, and um, you know, didn't have didn't have the graduation, so. You know, even though they're doing, you know, doing very well with their drive-through and what have you, they still, uh, you know, took a big hit. And uh, you know, and it's that way all over the country. Um, you know, we just we got to find a way to get, you know, get our get our country back open and 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 operating again. Yeah, no doubt about it. We're live right now with a former All-American head coach from the Goose Creek Gators. Of course, he coached at Baylor, coached at Clemson. He's done success anywhere he's put his foot on the ground, and we're fortunate to have him on the air with us here on Southern Sports Central. He's also a local business owner of the Comeback Shack, located at 8915 University Boulevard over there in North Charleston. And you talk about a campus that's close to you, Coach. Let's talk about Charleston Southern. I, I, I would imagine that's good revenue for you and your business. Now, with that campus shutting down, Coach, how – how has that affected you guys with not getting that walk-in traffic? Because not all these kids have cars, and the kids who do have cars, you're you're close to the campus. Yeah, you know we've we've um, you know it, it's 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 hurt us a little bit, but um, in all honesty, uh, Richie, we you know we kind of had you know had in mind what we needed to do you know just to to make ends meet, and and we've far exceeded that. I mean, our drive-through business has been phenomenal, and. And, you know, we're very blessed, um, very, very blessed in that, um, you know, people have supported us and, um, um, you know, we've been able to uh, get product. You know, I know, you know, some people have had a hard time getting beef, but, you know, we've been, you know, our suppliers have been able to keep us, you know, with beef. We haven't had any shortages or anything like that. Um, you know, so we've come out of this thing, um, and we haven't opened yet, um, our dining room, even though we could have opened on Monday. Um, you know, we've spent this whole week, um, you know, making a lot of changes with the inside of our dining room and in, in preparation, we're going to open Tuesday. And, uh, but, you know, we've done a lot of things to make sure that when, uh, when people come into the, to the restaurant on Tuesday, you know, they're going to see that we've taken this thing very seriously and, you know, and their, their well-being and their safety is, is first and foremost. And I think, um, you know, I think they'll appreciate that when they come in, but, but, you know, we've, we've come out of, you know, very well. And, uh, like I said, we're very, very blessed. Now, as we look at it, Coach, I've got three businesses I think they I don't want to say benefited, but definitely weren't hurt as much as other businesses. Number one, the fast food joints, like you mentioned, your drive-through there, that helps you out because you still get wholesome meals, and they're easy, and there's less contact. Number two would be convenience stores. I mean, I know a local convenience store owner here. He's got three, and he's like, Rich, I hate to tell you, man, but, man, this has helped me out tremendously, man. These guys are coming yeah. in and buying things. We're open, and 
So then, and then, of course, how about the grocery store clerks? I mean, uh, between yeah. teachers and grocery <laughs> store clerks, those are our biggest heroes right now. And, of course, those in the hospitals and, the, and everywhere, but those who have to work, the actual, the realistic essential worker, right, because you have to have these ladies and gentlemen out in the street to do what they do. But in, in all your time of being around, hey, hey, could you ever imagine what went down, what, the, the, the first or second week of March, and this thing has been shutting us down for the last two months? Uh, coach, not just in the, the athletic world, which we're going to get into that, mm-hmm. but overall, I mean, not just here in South, in the South Carolina, but across the entire country and into the rest of the world, at one point, nobody basically was moving. No, I, I don't think, um, you know, anybody ever envisioned anything like this. And, you know, as, as I think, you know, people um, a lot smarter than me, you know, have, have said, I mean, this is a, a once in a, you know, maybe once in a, century um uh occurrence i mean uh, you know i, I mean i and, and we're you know we're certainly not out of it yet although we're coming out of it but um no i mean this is something i mean you, you know you took an, an economy that was that was booming you know and, and basically shut it down um and you know it's going to take it's going to take a long time and there's going to be a lot of people that um uh you know that that don't survive i mean you've already seen you know numerous retail you know, large retail chains that are, that are, you know, not going to reopen or, or, or in bankruptcy. And, and you're going to see a lot of your, um, I think more of the fine dining restaurants, the, the ones that didn't have drive throughs and didn't, you know, didn't, didn't do, you know, carry out and, and all of those kind of things, you know, they're the ones that, you know, are going to have a hard time probably surviving this. Well, I right now with Coach Chuck Reed. Of course, he coached the Gators to uh, some state championships over there. Of course, he's also coached at Clemson. He coached at Baylor, and he's been coaching uh, the employees over there at his local business here in uh, North Charleston. And of course, you can find him hanging out over there at the Comeback Shack. He's one of the first faces you see, and he's wiping the tables down. He's busting his own tables. And those are the kind of guys you <laughs> like to work for, uh, Coach. And I got a chance to sit down with you that day and eat lunch with you about a year ago, give or take a couple of months, and got catch mm-hmm. up with you and your wife, and I always appreciate that. You always, again, there's these guys that I can call. You're one of those guys, and you say, man, anything I can do, let me know, and I appreciate you and tell her thank you for letting you hang out with me for a little while tonight. Well, Richie, we, you know, we, I appreciate, you know, what you do for, um, uh, you know, for all sports, but mainly for high school sports, you know, in particular, because you do a great job of uh, promoting high school sports and, and recognizing, um, you know, the, the athletes and the coaches, you know, that, that are involved, especially in the low country. And, you know, and, and, you know, that's greatly appreciated because, you know, there's, you know, there's not, um, you know, not a lot of people that do that. And, um, you know, certainly you, you, you've got to, uh, you know, there, you've got to uh, have filled that void in, in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, I appreciate that. And that's why, you know, we're always happy to do anything we can to be supportive. Well, Coach, I appreciate it. Now, I just had a coach on from, from Cedar Grove, which is in Atlanta. It's a high school there in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And uh, Coach Bonner was one of the, the, the guy that started the tree that you now see if you're following Cedar Grove. They win championships, kind of like what you see what's happened over at Goose Creek. You guys have gotten strong again. Things are built back up. New coaching staff over there with the Gators. Of course, we very close to the wide receiver over there and the quarterback who uh, had great senior, had great year yeah, there as a senior. Of mm-hmm. course, some other guys that are coming back. And, and the future looks bright. But you yourself, Coach, you've got coaches all over the board as well. Every time I – uh, here lately, I've run into coaches, of course, uh, Scott Durham's an athletic director and the head football coach yep. in Andrews. Uh, he's done great things. But you've got coaches everywhere that you've had somewhat of contact with. And now in, at your stage in your life where you're 
you're able to come on our show and you go on other shows and you do interviews, which I enjoyed that article by the post on you as well. Um, is it kind of nice to watch the, like the, the fruit of your loins, I guess, in the coaching world, see these guys doing great things and knowing that you had your hands on at least a little bit of what they're doing? Uh, yeah, you know, you always uh, like to see guys that, um, uh, you know, that, that maybe you, you know, you gave gave a chance, uh, you know, or certainly, um, you know, gave them an opportunity to coach for you or whatever, uh, go on and be successful. And, um, you know, and we, you know, got some guys that, you know, in the colleges, in the, at the college level. And, um, and then, you know, as you said, some guys, you know, in, in the high school ranks as well. And, um, you know, it's always, it's always good and good to, you know, keep up with them and stay in touch with them as well. Um, you know, I just I saw where Chris Kander just, you know, took the defense coordinator's job at um, at Stratford. And Chris, you know, was an integral part of our success. I mean, matter of fact, you know, one of the best hires that I ever made. You know, he, you know, really did a, you know, fantastic job of turning our defense around. And and he'll do the same thing at Stratford. I mean, he's a heck of a heck of a football coach. Now, one young man that played for, I believe, J.B. Fordham was a was a player for you, mm-hmm. Coach. He now owns – he's one of the major owners, and we're partnered with him and his staff over at the Factory Sports and Fitness Training Center over there in Hanahan, which we don't get him a hard time for being in Hanahan, right, because he's a Gator. But <laughs> uh, you go where the opportunity is given, right, and that's where he's at. Uh, how proud of you when you see these guys? Because all the time I tell Coach Call, who's now at Oceanside, and that's another topic mm-hmm. we're going to get into before I get you out of here, is the coaching change. Oh, my God, it's been crazy. But – when, when you see your kids not only, you know, excelling in sports, that's great. But that pipeline is like a funnel if you're pouring oil into your car. The, the deeper you get into the years, the harder it gets to move up. And, and so you see their seasons come to an end and that career ending. But then a guy like Jamie who has taken everything you've taught him on the field, and he gives you a lot of compliments, and he gives everything to Goose Creek. He's back over there, I believe, as a running back coach, and he does some stuff for the athletic uh, directors as well. But how cool is it to see Jamie and his group over at the factory just doing what they do and representing Goose Creek and all the things that you guys have kind of instilled in him and his staff. Yeah. Well, those, those guys, you know, he and Kendrick Robinson, um, uh, I mean, they, they were, um, uh, you know, Jamie was, you know, as was mentioned in that article, I mean, he was, he was the first, you know, really good. Matter of fact, he was about the only really good player we had my first year that I, at Goose Creek, you know, and I, and I, I, that's not true. We had some other guys, but, but Jamie was special and that was obvious. And, uh, you know, and then, um, um, you know, the, our third year, you know, Kendrick Robinson came along and, you know, and he was just a fantastic, um, you know, and, and he was one of those basketball guys that I, I, I mentioned, mm-hmm. that, you know, he was really a basketball player and, you know, you know, we were able to convince him to play football and, and, you know, he was, um, you know, he was, you know, he was just tremendous and, you know, both those guys, you know, doing very, very well, you know, with their company. And I'm just so proud of them. And, um, you know, in, in every respect, you know, they were great athletes, but, you know, they're just wonderful young men and, and family, you know, wonderful fathers and husbands. And, uh, you know, that, that's what you're, you know, that, that's what this is all about. You know, it's not just not developing, uh, you know, great football players. It's, it's developing, you know, great young men. And, and, um, so that, that's what, you know, really rewarding to see see those guys be successful in all all areas of their lives. Yeah, it was kind of a no-brainer for me when I sat down with these guys right right about the time this epidemic kind of took shape with Jamie and, of course, Kendrick, and I sat down with both these guys and I said, look, your vision, my vision is the same. 
I have a platform, you have a platform. It's kind of like superheroes. Let's just join the thing together, and we can give it a voice. You can guys can give it a workout, and, and we'll just have a lot of success with a lot of athletes. And, you know, it shows the unity because if my connection's up on the Dorchester side, their connection's in Berkeley, it becomes a power situation. So we're really excited about that. And, and I can't say enough about you myself, Coach, and, uh, and, and them as well because you were a large part of our conversation that day when we decided to shake hands and partner up, and your name came up multiple times. So uh, I appreciate yeah. all that you've done, not just with coaches but with players. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, like I said before, we've been very, very blessed. And, uh, um, you know, just we've had an opportunity to work with, uh, you know, a bunch of wonderful young men. And, um, you know, it's 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 been very rewarding. So, Coach, i got to ask you the other questions. We're live right now, of course, on the Tent Farm Hotline. By the way, Johnson Farmer is a Goose Creek Gator who owns the business, the Tent Farm. Uh, I'm sure you probably remember Jonathan back in your days uh, around mm-hmm. then as well. Uh, but with that being said, Coach Reedy joins us uh, one of many times uh, here on the hotline with us. But coach, coaching changes are kind of the norm, but not 19, as we saw here in the Low Country, and they finally named the final one over at Wando. Of course, we saw him. Uh, that former coach is now in Georgetown. You saw a coach coming in from Timberland. I never thought he – or was it Timberland? Yeah, he's from Timberland, and he has the hand in hand. What was one of the biggest surprises, even with Coach Call going to Oceanside, uh, that you saw that you were like, wow, I didn't see that one coming? Yeah, um, you know, I mean, I, I think um, Art Craig, you know, going to hand in hand certainly was a surprise – on, on the outside, but then when you, you know, when you, you dug down in and you, you, you realized all of the, all of the, the connections and the, you know, there, there's always, there's always more to it than, than what you read in the newspaper. And, uh, you know, and, and also, you know, Berkeley County, you know, they pay based on, uh, you know, on your classification and, you know, art, art's been around a long time. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, exactly how many years, but, you know, you know, he's getting close to where he, you know, he can retire or if he wants to. And, and so, you know, your retirement's based on, I think your highest three years salary, I think is, is what it, what it is, but, you know, so you got to be thinking about those kind of things. And, um, you know, there's a good difference between, um, you know, if you're a two, a or three, a four, a, whatever the case may be. So, you know, I'm sure, you know, I don't know, but I'm sure that would factor it in. Um, you know, Joe call, um, you know, leaving, uh, Somerville, uh, but, and, and I don't really, I mean, I know Joe, but I don't know him well. You certainly know him a lot better than me, but I know there's, there was a lot more involved in that than what was in the newspaper as well. Um, you know, and the, the, the Wando and, and taking nothing away from the, the guy they hired, I, I don't know anything about him. Um, I don't think I've ever met him, but, you know, you, I guess you, you expected them to, you know, to maybe make a, make a, you know, uh, a splash with a hire and they ended up hiring a guy as an interim, which, you know, I, I, again, I don't know, I don't know the story there, so I, I can't, sure. I can't speak to it, but, you know, you, you know, you, you kind of thought they may try to go and make a, make a, you know, make a splash with a, with a big hire. Yeah, it was weird to me, Coach, as well, and that's something we haven't really touched on, but you touched on it, so we'll kind of, I'll kind of roll with it just a minute. But, you know, they, they really did. They were one of the ones I think had an early one with their coach leaving and going to Georgetown. I think he's the new AD as well as 
of course, uh, the new head football coach. He's going to do great things. And, of course, uh, Scott Durham and him are going to get, get to know each other pretty well because they're kind of a, yeah. a, a robbery, if you will, there between the counties. Mm-hmm. I really did. I thought it would be a huge splash. Not that this coach did, I think, comes in and he played his days at Furman. But to give him an interim tag, it was kind of weird for me, uh, you know, to see that. What is it about North Carolina coaches that keep finding their way over here, Coach? Why, why do they retire? Well, you know why they retire North Carolina. But yeah. why does – I'd say the state of South Carolina, instead of hiring them within, they're even hiring athletic directors and football coaches that are retired and won and overlooking our coaches here locally. Yeah, I don't, um, uh, you know, because what they do, you know, they they retire up there and then they and then they come down here, um, um, and um, you know, and 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 I say double dip, then they come down here and 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 take another job. Um, you know, and, and so they're drawing their retirement up there and, and then getting a full salary down here, which is certainly nothing wrong with that. Um, and, you know, uh, um, and, 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 and they've guys that have been successful up there and the other, the other side of it is, I mean, football in South Carolina, um, I don't say that it's better, um, than North Carolina. There's a lot of good teams and athletes in, in North Carolina, but North Carolina, you know, they don't, they don't have the emphasis on, on high school football that they do in South Carolina. Um, you know, their spring practice is very, very limited if, if, if anything. Um, and so, you know, it's a little different ball game um, uh, here than it is up there. And so, you know, I think some of those guys like the, the, um, you know, the idea of the challenge that, that South Carolina poses for them. But, you know, I think mainly, Mainly, it's a financial thing because South Carolina does pay coaches considerably better than than what North Carolina does. We're live right now with Coach Chuck Reedy, who joins us live here on the Tent Farm Hotline. Coach, with this epidemic, let's let's kind of close it up with this. Uh, never have I ever seen anything like this, and and we talked about this as you came in, and we've kind of, like you mentioned, I shut down a lot of these type of interviews, and we went from doing a senior spotlight where we bring in, you know, the seniors who had to forego their senior season. And, and that's worked itself out because we've heard so many great stories and I've been able to bring in coaches at the end of their interview where I've had four of their athletes on and maybe the first time or a long time since they've heard their coach's voice. That was kind of neat. And then I do a spotlight where next week we're actually going to be at Goose Creek where we'll talk to the principal and the coach and an athletic director, which we've done at Ashley Ridge mm-hmm. in Fort Dorchester. Uh, it, it's a neat opportunity, but, but overall it's a sad situation. I mean, while I get the kids coach. And you imagine in your days of coaching, you didn't have to worry about them having an SAT or an SAT. I mean, these seniors do have that going for them. But what about the kids that were supposed to have that senior season that was going to get them that scholarship? Coach, kind of tell us your thoughts on, on, on the athletes of the spring and how you think we're going to recover here coming in the fall. Well, it, it, it's really difficult because, um, um, you know, m- most of the colleges now, you know, not if you're Clemson or Alabama or, you know, at that level, but the, the, you know, the, the, the lower level college, they're going to come in in the spring and, and, you know, that that's when they're going to have an opportunity to, to see guys that, you know, that maybe they hadn't been able, they hadn't seen or whatever, and, you know, have a chance to evaluate them. And, um, you know, I mean, you know, when I was at Goose Creek, I mean, we, we would have, you know, 40, 50, 60 colleges um, every spring that would come through and, you know, it gave great exposure to your athletes. And, you know, obviously they didn't have an opportunity to do that. And so, 
um, you know, there'll still be opportunities for them in the fall, hopefully. But, um, you know, there'll be some guys that'll probably lose out and miss out because they didn't have an opportunity to, you know, to, to be showcased um, during spring practice. Coach, when you start to kind of look at this thing here and we try to put everything in perspective, Goose Creek just had some pretty uh, good success once again in the draft, of course. And, and that last name, if you know, uh, is a big name over there. Of course, he was a big-time player that got drafted uh, early, uh, of course. Uh, we're talking about Mr. Kinlaw. Now, you've uh, coached mm-hmm. a few Kinlaws <laughs> in your time. Yeah. How much relationship yep. did you have with, with the last Kinlaw, of course, uh, who has uh, made the biggest splash here of late? Yeah, well, Devon, uh, you know, we had the opportunity, obviously, of, of being, uh, you know, I, I was at Goose Creek when Javon, you know, showed up over there. And, um, you know, I've, I've shared that story many times, um, you know, when when uh, during the summer, you know, uh, after his freshman year, I mean, and, you know, he, he had never played football. And, you know, we heard about it, you know, this big kid that was moving in, you know, enrolling and, and when he showed up with his dad, you know, we, to meet, you know, we were, uh, waited around to meet him one day during the summer. And when he got out of the truck, I mean, I, I, I was like, holy crap, look at this. I mean, you know, he, he was 15 years old. I mean, he's, he's six, six, two seventy. I mean, and, and, you know, just, I mean, you couldn't, you know, draw up a better looking, you know, uh, football player. Um, you know, and so we, you know, we had an opportunity to, to be there, you know, at the beginning, you know, as far as his, you know, football career, you know, goes. Um, and, and I've said many, many times, I mean, you know, Javon was very immature, you know, very, you know, just had no idea, you know, what he could do. And, um, you know, I, I, I spent probably, you know, at least one day a week, I'd have him in my office talking to him about, you know, what he could do and try to motivate him and make him understand um, you know, but it, you know, it was, you know, he was a very nice young man and came from a very, you know, well-documented from a very, very tough environment, but, you know, you know, somewhere along the line and, and it didn't happen in high school. I mean, he was, he was a good player and, and the potential was there, but the light came on somewhere, you know, after he left the high school, I think at the junior college is probably you know, we're, you know, you know, somewhere in there, he, you know, he realized what he could do. And then the, you know, the coaches of South Carolina did a great job with him as well. But, um, you know, I'm just very, you know, very happy, proud for him. And, um, you know, I'm just glad that we were able in some small way, you know, when he, when we first got him, you know, to get him, uh, you know, to help him get started in his football career. Hey, coach, it's coach Benton here. Uh, Leading into that, there's a guy I wanted to ask you about, too, someone that uh, is part of your coaching tree there. I've had the pleasure of coaching with, and that's Malcolm Howard. He was the guy that played for you, still still yep. loves you, still talks about it. And, uh, you know, uh, the first game this year, Oceanside's supposed to play uh, Goose Creek, and hopefully that still goes uh, as, as planned. And he's just the guy. He, he takes this out as soon as they hit the schedule and said, man, I want to get a deer stand and just put it up on the field and watch this game. But, you know, I'm coaching <laughs> on the sidelines, so uh, – you know, I, I've had great pleasure of uh, coaching with him. He's become a great friend of mine, and he talks so highly of you. So I just want to give a shout out and uh, and get your oh, yeah. thoughts on, on Malcolm. Uh, he's he's a smart guy and a hard worker. Oh, Malcolm! Uh, I mean, gosh, Malcolm was a was a great player for us. Um, you know, he was a guy that 
came along and he was actually a running back when he was younger. And he was always very, I mean, he was a little bit bigger than everybody. Um, when I say bigger, he was more muscular than everybody. And, uh, you know, and, and we made a decision, moved him to linebacker and, um, you know, he was, uh, he was instrumental in, you know, in us when, you know, we kind of went from being pretty good to being real good. And, you know, he was instrumental in that, in that transition. And, you know, of course he, you know, he was a finalist for, um, for Mr. Football. I mean, he was one of the five finalists, um, you know, his senior year for Mr. Football in South Carolina, which says, you know, it, it says something, uh, you know, about a, about a guy who was a, you know, a linebacker, um, and, um, you know, went to the Shrine Bowl was a defensive MVP. I mean, Malcolm, Malcolm was, um, you know, a heck of a football player and, and really a, a wonderful young man. And real quick, one last question. Uh, looking at your menu over there, what's your, what's your favorite shake on the menu? I, I uh, tried that Reese's Cup, man, and it hurt walking out of there, man. That was so full, it hurt. <laughs> I, my, my wife just walked out because – she she's she's a she loves all the milkshakes, but I mean I'm kind of a you know I'm a I'm a, a chocolate guy, but but you know she I'm trying to think of the one that I think it's the caramel I think that she likes so much. But oh uh, yeah, and yeah. That, that famous Nutella one when I take parents out there when yeah. we're camping at Charleston Southern, uh, the ladies yeah. always uh, dote on the uh, Nutella shake you got on the menu there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no that that was that's very very popular as well. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm more, you know, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a fried green tomato, uh, burger guy myself. <laughs> so, uh, that's you know, that's, well, that's hey, my, uh, that's my deal. But <laughs> Malcolm just texted me and said, he just wanted me to tell you, hello, you know, he's thankful for you. He still love, he loves you coach and, uh, very grateful for all you did for him. Uh, well, tell him I love him and, uh, and, and, uh, love his mom too. I, you know, we 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 stay in contact as well. She's she's a sweetheart as well. Well, coach, as always, we appreciate everything that you do with us here on Southern Sports Central. I am going to catch up with you because there's some things I'm working on outside the lines here, and I want to try to get your hand in and, and your help on and some advice on uh, and all that sure. one. So, when, when is a good time to swing by there and, and catch up with you in late in the evening or an early afternoon over there at the Comeback Shack? Well, uh, just, you know, let me know, um, uh, you know, just let me know, Richie, when, you know, when, when you're planning on, um, you know, and, and then I'll just try to make it work. Um, I, you know, I normally go over, I'm usually not there in the, at, you know, after, you know, at the rush hour, you know, or after five or whatever, uh, you know, I usually try to go over and, and hang, you know, hang out around lunch and what have you, but, you know, just let me know and we'll make something work out. All right, Coach, as always, uh, we appreciate you. I'm glad you're still in the community. Uh, these kids love you to death. You just That's got to be neat when these kids come back to you and, 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 and give these texts. I know Jamie's reached out to me and some other guys have always said nice things about you, even your former coaches. And Coach Durham and I talk about you all the time as far as, you know, just the things you've taught. You've coached college. You've taught, you know, towed the ball in high school and all that. But uh, here for what you do at Southern Sports Central means a lot to me, Coach. Thank you. Well, thank you. Appreciate what you do, and uh, always look forward to you know to being with you. All right, Coach. We'll talk to you soon. Tell the wife we say right. hello and enjoy what's left of your weekend. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Thank you all. Bye. Hey. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. That's the one and only the Hall of Famer, 
Coach Chuck Reedy. You can check him out. You can follow him. You can go over there and eat lunch with him at the Comeback Shack at 8915 University Boulevard. We got to go to break because we're heading back to Columbia, South Carolina, with the one and only number three on the chart. I can say number one in your heart, Corey Boyd, joins us next right here on Southern Sports Central, guys. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, everybody. I am Rich Yalvin. That is Eugene Benton, the coach. And this is Southern Sports Central coming at you live for the final hour. I want to thank uh, our last two guests that joined us here in hour. Number two, Coach Miguel Patrick from Cedar Grove out of Atlanta, Georgia, the head football coach and a former All-American Hall of Famer and now renowned restaurant owner, the one and only Coach Chuck Reedy, who coached again at Baylor. He coached at Clemson and recently won state championships over there at Goose Creek high school but now it's time with another all-american we check in with Corey boy who again ran the ball ran the rocks for i believe lou holtz did some stuff with steve spurrier and uh also of course uh came from another state we're going to talk to Corey about that and he's also a coach he's also a coach with uh the youth program that we're a part of the south carolina youth football association league here in the great state of south carolina Corey, what's up big man how's everything going gentlemen that's great, man. So, uh, Eugene, I know you're going to kind of chime in and out, and uh, we're going to keep him, uh, his mic will be hot, so all three of us will kind of do a little round table. First of all, man, I can't tell you, you know, the first time you called, uh, this was about, what, three or four weeks ago, right? And you texted me, you said, this is Corey Boyd, former running back at South Carolina, and I thought to myself, okay, dude, that's cool, whatever. Because <laughs> people do that to me all the time and try to get me excited, and I'm like, oh, whatever, man. And then I get you on the phone, and you're like, no, really, this is who I am. So it's an honor to get you in here and, and get you on the show. But the friendship that we've built off the air since that first connection with having the commissioner, Coach, uh, you know, Jay Williams in here with us and how this thing kind of transpired, six volumes of the original fraternity that we know is called athletics, huh? Yes, definitely. Sports definitely is a way and a platform to bring the most uncommon people together. You know, so I just appreciate the fact that you guys have opened up the door and truly allowed me and uh, my program to be a part of what you guys have going on. So before we talk some South Carolina stuff, I do want to give your bio real quick when it comes to what you're doing currently because I think it's just as important. What you're doing now is just as important as what you did then. I know right now you're, you're running a youth program over there. Uh, it's a it's a it's one of the oldest uh, leagues and, and youth football. Kind of tell us a little bit about your team name, your program, and, and let's give some love to uh, what's going on over there. And I know you guys have a fundraiser coming up. We want to be a part of that as well. Well, definitely. Uh, we are a first-year youth football organization that is a part of the South Carolina Youth Football Association, which is uh, a United Youth Football uh, Association-based league here in the Midlands, South Carolina. Uh, our team name is the uh, Columbia Running Rebels Youth Football Organization, um, and currently, right now, we're we're hosting and doing our small little trainings at the uh, Owensville Park here in Columbia, South Carolina, and uh, it's been it's been uh, it's been a good journey. 
let's say, you know, with everything going on with the pandemic and everything, we've, we've just been hitting the ground running. That is one of our, our logos and slogos, slogans, excuse me, is to uh, just hit the ground running when everything opens back up to give our kids another opportunity to get out and, you know, do something instead of sitting in front of the TV. So we want to help them guys uh, with their fundamentals and just helping them advance themselves in the game of football. Live right now with the former running back, of course, with the University of South Carolina, the Gamecocks. He uh, came from the state of New Jersey and, of course, has made his name known and well-respected here in Columbia and around the entire state of South Carolina. As you heard, he's a coach of the Columbia Running Rebels with the United Football League. He's part of that South Carolina Youth Football Association that we've partnered with. And we're going to be doing some games of them, and we're going to try to get up and do a game with you guys as well. Eugene likes to drive, so – We'll just load up the truck and we'll head up to Columbia. So, uh, Eugene, I know you had some things as well. I'll kind of let you kind of have oh, a little yeah. bit of moments here with him as well, buddy. So, so Corey and I actually coached against, sort of against each other in a game when he was with Gray. And, man, he trained this running back that they have, that that kid is lighting up. And, and you know who I'm talking about, Corey. He's going to be getting recruited by a, a bunch of different schools. You and I took pictures at that infamous game at, at South Carolina State. And what an honor that was to, to be on that field. But, uh, you know, he, Richie's mentioned that you being from New Jersey. Now, as you recall, Holt made a big deal about your recruiting visit when he rented that car and drove in to see you and all that. Uh, you you want to talk about that a little bit? Because, uh, you know, you, you got it from the side of Holt, you know, making that journey and that trip to your house and what it was like there uh, during that visit. Yeah, that visit was uh, an eye-popper, you know. For me, I wasn't even expecting Coach Holtz to even make that trip because at that time, uh, I believe the university was uh, recruiting one of the top running backs in the state of South Carolina and also in the, in, in the U.S. in Demetrius Summers. And I know that there were a couple of stipulations that Coach Holtz wanted from me. And uh, at that time, I had some dreads going down my head. And um, at that time, the team didn't have uh, – they had a, a policy that no player could have hair, uh, facial hair at all, nothing. And uh, I know Holtz had said if I wanted to, you know, attend the University of South Carolina, I had to cut my hair. So uh, – Late in the recruiting process, you know, I had done all of my trips that I wanted to do, and uh, my official visits were done, in my my opinion. And I just wanted to give, <clears throat> excuse me, I just wanted to give Coach Holtz, you know, some assurance that, you know, I was committed at being a Gamecock. And uh, he told me if I would cut my hair, that he would take a trip all the way up to New Jersey just to show how much he cared about, you know, the, the person that I was, the family that I was coming from. And uh, he was very interested in, you know, his investment in me. So, you know, having him pull up to, you know, essentially the hood, uh, we had to roll out the red carpet for him. So we cleaned out the hallways and uh, we gave him a police escort all the way up to, you know, my grandmother's door. Luckily we lived on the first floor, so he didn't have to get through too much, um, you know, chaos. But when the guy pulled up, you would have thought that the president had pulled up with, you know, so many security uh, officers there and everybody in my neighborhood was outside, you know, they gave him a round of applause and, 
you know, once he got into my home, you know, I felt as though it was the right decision to make, to choose this, you know, this university. And it just spoke loudly about the man and the coach that he is. You know, he was more of a player's coach. You know, he wanted to get to know what type of young man you were, what type of home you were coming from, so that he knew how to coach you when you got down here to South – when I got down here to South Carolina. And, and one thing, I, you know, I was mad about uh, – I was mad at Richie last time you were on because I was like, man, just give me one minute because um, you and I talked about it when uh, I was trying to get a kid on the Shrine Bowl team, and I reached out to you to get in touch with Savelle. Um, you remember that? And, uh, you know, one thing I wanted to tell him, I was like, you know, when I was at Carolina, uh, I was a little bit ahead of you, but, uh, and we talked about that because I was president at Carolina. And so I was an honorary, uh, recruiting coach with Holtz and uh, I had guys like Dante Robinson in my group and stuff like that, but we would go to all the away games and there was one game that we went to and everybody says you're a running back. And I said, Nope, he was a quarterback and he broke that game open. And you know which one I'm talking about? It's an away game. Miss, yeah, Mississippi well, State. <laughs> yeah, it was Mississippi State. That was sure enough a, a, a infamous game for me uh, because I said some, some foolish and outlandish things. But Savelle, yeah, that was his, his, his one of his breakout games, you know. Um, you know, we were all – you know, leaders of our, our, our class. You know, me and Savelle were yeah. one of the uh, – came in together as a freshman. Uh, I missed a, a season. And then when we got back, you know, that was our first game. We wanted oh, yeah. to let the nation and everyone know that South Carolina was being put on the map and with the, uh, the versatility of Savelle and his game and what he was able to do as a running back, a quarterback, a wide receiver – you know, it just gave our offense a little bit more, you know, tools to go out there and perform in the SEC. And, and we, oh, did yeah. a, we did a good job. We did an excellent job that game. So I, I know exactly what game you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, and, and my thing was, you know, I, and I get it. You guys were all hyped up because it was a win on the road. It's an SEC win, first game like that. But, you know, and, and you guys were just having fun with that. But, you know, I just remember that rollout to the right. It was about a, uh, about 45-yard line and just launched that pass down the sideline. And there was Savelle, man. So, I think your passing career was, what, one for one with a touchdown pass? You had a perfect quarterback rating, something like that. But, well, uh, you know, it, well, it, it actually, just lit up, that, lit up the stadium. Well, actually, it was uh, Savelle who threw me the pass because, I know Coach uh, Coach Spurrier didn't want me to throw the ball because he felt as though Savelle had a better arm than me, and I'm not gonna con- I'm not gonna you know compete against <laughs> that. But I I do remember that play uh, very well. You know we did a reverse. Well, actually it was a pass out to Savelle who was at the slot. Uh, right. He drew a okay. lot of attention. He drew a lot of attention to the left side of the field. My responsibility was just to get up to the line and act like I was helping out on my left ta- I mean, on my right tackle. And while everybody was focused on Savelle getting that ball, you know, he took a couple of steps back. He saw that I was wide open about 40 yards down the field, man, and he let that thing go. And all I could think about was when that ball was in the air was, please don't drop this ball. Please don't drop this ball. And you were um, wide you know, open, too. <laughs> yeah, wide open. And and I'm gonna get on Savelle a little bit about it because the pass was a little bit underthrown. He didn't catch me in stride, but I, I was able to readjust my body, catch it, and uh, you know it was all I saw 
was tunnel vision, touchdown, you know, go celebrate with Cocky or the team if possible. And, you know, that was a great call by Coach Spurrier at that time and, and at that point in the game. So what was the difference in, in the coaching staff? Because you were part of that group that switched. You know, Holtz recruited you. You were a Holtz guy. You were that hard-nosed runner that he loved. You know, pound him out three yards, four yards, cloud of dust, break one open. What was the difference in the, in the coaching transition uh, for you guys or for you personally uh, from Holtz to Spurrier? I would say Holtz, uh, you know, he brought a different flavor to the game where it was more of, he, like I said, he wanted to be a father figure, uh, a role model, you know, to help us, you know, develop into not just being athletes, but student athletes and good citizens in the world. You know, he invested a lot of time into, you know, making sure that he was d- developing the man. And, uh it was sad to see him go in the way that he did, um, but it also opened up a door to, you know, something new, something fresh, and that's what Spurrier was able to bring was a, a winner's mentality at all costs, you know, to the table. He knew what it took to get up under the skin of his players, and, you know, uh, he taught us about being a, more of a perfectionist. He wanted things to get done perfectly, uh, and he installed in us that, you know, when you do something 21 times, it becomes a habit for you. And if you do that, that you're doing 21 times wrong, you create a bad habit for yourself. So he tried to stress on us to continue to, you know, every time you step out on the field, do something 21 times with the intentions of doing it perfect, getting it correct, so that when game time comes, you know, you, you have a winner's mentality and you have a, a perfectionist mindset. I, I like to call it the Mamba mindset, you know, uh, because you had to have that killer instinct, but you also had to, you know, he wanted smart athletes. You had to be intelligent, you know. It just wasn't about pounding on the body. It was about pounding on the mind as well. And I have never had a coach like Coach Spurrier, you know, push me the way he did mentally to stay into the game and stay as focused in the game because that's ultimately what helps you, you know, move to the next level. So it was more so one coach gave you a fatherly, that fatherly coaching advice, and then there was that coach that just gave you, uh, this is the job, this is how we execute, and this is how we're going to win, and this is how we're going to get it done. So it was a challenge at first, but, you know, once you caught the speed of, you know, both of those coaches, you know, you were able to go out there and see what we were able to put out on the field. And being with Coach Holtz for a couple of years, just got to ask you, how many golf cart rides did you get? To be honest with you, I was never able to get on a golf cart, maybe because I <laughs> uh, somewhat broke his hip, but, you know, he, he would always drive that cart, um, you know, and if, at the beginning of practice, if he saw players were running a little late, you know, he would have them jump on with him to help him get the practice. But that was like his old little Cadillac, his own little Cadillac. Couldn't nobody really get in on it. Uh, he had his golf clubs and his golf balls in it. So during the middle of practice, you know, if he wanted to get your attention, you know, he would drive that golf cart up on you so fast and you will think, you know, he was going to hit you. But he would stop. <laughs> he would get out. And it was just it his approach was just a little different to the game. You know, he would jump off the cart and drop a golf ball down and grab his golf club and 
he'll knock a ball about 10 yards down the field, and then, you know, he'll come talk to you and say, hey, you know, I, I see you're doing this well in practice, or I see that you're struggling a little bit with this in practice, and then, you know, he'll have you walk over to the golf cart as if he was going to have you give, give you a ride or something. But he wouldn't. He would just tell you to sit down for a second and just, you know, pick your brain and make sure that you, you know, you were having a proper practice uh, to help the team. And that was about the closest I've ever gotten to, you know, sitting on his golf cart and actually, you know, getting a ride. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome, man. Um, And so, you know, you talked about the spurter mentality with the, uh, you know, the mental game. Is that something that you've – use both of those I, I take it you take from both coaches and what you do you know you, you're the father figure uh, as you know coming from from the background you did that a lot of kids need need a father figure and also the mental a- aspect of it so is that something you take from both of those guys in your coaching style well definitely I, I had to take something from both of them because coming from New Jersey and coming from the inner city I never received that type of coaching from you know that high profile uh, of a coach. And, um, you know, it was a little bit of a a rough adjustment um, knowing that, hey, man, I don't know these coaches. They haven't seen me grow from a youngster to where I am now. Uh, Like I was used to with my high school coach and my Pop Warner coaches. You know, these were guys that I really had to prove myself to. And once I was able to, you know, warm up to them and they were able to warm up to me, you know, I started being able to say, hey, you know, anybody that I come across that knows about this game a little bit more than I do, you know, I need to take the time to pick their brain and see what makes them successful so that maybe one day when I'm done, uh, you know, I can give my expertise back to the next generation because to whom much is given, much is to be expected. So I knew that, you know, I didn't want to waste the time that I had around both of those coaches, you know, just by playing the game. I wanted to also know as as a coach, you know, what were they thinking and, you know, how were they – how was their approach to the game uh, as as they continued to work with all of us as, as a unit. And as I, you know, got older, you know, and got closer to them, you know, I recognized that those guys, you know, were were – we're more than what we 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 we, act, we could have asked for, you know. I think we take coaches for granted a lot because we know, hey, we only around them for a certain period of time. But the messages and the things that they embed in us and they 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 install in us and instill in us, it lasts forever. And I knew that with Lou Holtz, his winning as as a man and as a as a as a role model, it would definitely help me grow to be a, a better man and a role model for, you know, the the kids that I deal with. And then with Spurrier, I knew that with paying attention to detail and, and working my tail off mentally that, you know, later on I will be able to, you know, know how to run an organization and know how to dissect defenses and know how to coach a full game because of the lessons that they were able to teach me. And I know two more people that had an influence on it, uh, like I said, with with, uh, assisting Coach Holtz being a a student uh, recruiter with him. And uh, I wasn't able, you know, I was already graduated by the time Spurrier got there, was uh, Miss Beth and Miss Jerry. Now I know they're they they were always kind of the mamas of the staff. Uh, 
what what kind of relationship did you have with Miss Beth and Miss Jerry? Oh, those were my ladies. Oh, it, it, and my heart still goes out to those ladies because um, whenever we had a rough day at practice and uh, or a rough game, uh, they knew what type of coaches that we had and husbands that they had uh, because. You know, they will come in, they will give us cookies, they will give us all the hugs that we could we could receive before practices and after practices. They were just that 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 mother figure that we needed, that that nurturing uh person that we needed uh in the uh program because it was tough getting out there. It's tough being a a, a college athlete and they knew it. You know, and and they did the best that they could as far as to lighten the load for us without pampering us to make us soft. But they always say, behind every good man, there's a good woman. And I'm glad that both Lou Holtz and and, and Spurrier had, you know, women and and assistants that helped us, uh, you know, lighten up the load, you know, as a as a student athlete. So I just thank Jerry and and and. And, and 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 everyone else that was a part of that helping us, you know, see things as not just about football. It's also about life and also being about a caring individual and a stand-up citizen. We're live right now with Corey Boyd. Of course, he does multiple things there in the capital city of Columbia, South Carolina. One of those is he is the head coach over there with the Columbia Running Rebels, a Pop Warner football program that we partnered with along with all the younger programs here in the great state of South Carolina with the South Carolina Youth Football Association. But you Gamecock fans and some Clemson fans and a few other fans around the country will know him as a former Gamecock running back. He played for Lou Holtz. He played for Spurrier. Let me ask you this, though, before I ask you a couple things about your up-and-coming season over there with the running Rebels. Was it playing for Holtz comparatively to Spurrier? Spurrier probably a little bit more hands-on than Holtz. What was – what was their different strategies as far as uh, when you look at how Holtz kind of molded you to comparatively at your end of your career at South Carolina, how Spurrier kind of kind of put it on? Spurrier seems to me a little bit more of a hands-on coach. Holtz kind of a little bit more sit back, direct his coaches to coach you, but would oversee anything that he needed to. Well, yeah, that was a great difference in between the two. Uh, you know, Holtz was more of a, you know, this is the game plan. We're going to stick to it, and we're going to fight through it all four quarters. Um, and he made adjustments as needed as we went. But I think he focused a lot more on the physical side of it. You know, we had to be fit bigger. We had to be faster. We had to be stronger because we were in the SEC. And, you know, his mentality was, hey, this is the blueprint. We have to follow it to a T. And like you said, he gave his coaches, um, you know, the right leeway to go ahead and say, hey, coach these guys up, give them your personality, give them your character, and and let's see where, you know, where we'll end up at. But then when we got Spurrier, you know, Spurrier was, was a little bit different. You know, like you say, he was a lot more hands-on. And I think I I think a lot of people don't understand, uh, or they do understand, but they don't give Spurrier a lot of a, a lot of credit on this. But he was he had a lot of great in-game adjustments, and that's what makes him good. He can actually look at a defense 
and know exactly where the holes in the defense would be, and that's why how he would be able to make adjustments and call plays in the game that would help us as a uh, as an offense at that time where we were struggling a little bit with our old line, uh, and and we only had about a couple of receivers that were you know top um, premier receivers. And uh, with with his in-game adjustment, it just made the game a lot more fun, uh, and, and and we were able to utilize like 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 Savell Newton and many different other places to help us be a little bit more potent as a team. I don't know if we lost Richie there, but uh, you know, and, and that was the difference is you know, Spurger was more of a an offensive guy. He wanted to put up big numbers with you guys, either running the ball you know, punching it in or, or having you play, you know, catch a pass or this, that, and the other. So as part of the the physical part of that game where you coming back and, you know, having to learn a whole new offense and, and catching passes and, and, and pass blocking and all that, you know, what what was that kind of transition like for you? Uh, well, it, going into my junior year, I, I, I kind of knew that, you know, I, I, I was gaining a lot more weight and that our backfield was a little bit uh was a little bit crowded and I know that, you know, Spurrier was gonna spread that ball out. <laughs> he was gonna spread that ball out, he was gonna throw it a lot. And uh, you know, I just tried to figure out where would I best fit to help my team. You know, I didn't wanna be selfish and just say no, I was a running back, you know, so um, you know, I raised my hand and, and, and uh, ask Spurrier if it was possible for me to, you know, learn dual, dual roles, you know, because I was able to uh, do the same with hopes. You know, I felt comfortable with, hey, my hands and going out and learning a new playbook, and I wouldn't be nervous out on the island as a wide receiver. So, uh, you know, we gave it a shot uh, in practice. I think my first practices back with, uh, with Spurrier, he tested me out as wide receiver at wide receiver, and he saw that I had, you know, some 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 catching abilities that I was I was versatile, just the same as Sabell and some other folks that we had on the team. And uh, you know, it, it was it was a challenge at first because we had to learn different terminologies that, you know, put me in a different formation that I may not have been used to. But the more that I got reps at it, the more that I spent time in the, the classroom and the film study uh, and just picking my, my coaches' brains, like I said, just picking their brains off of how they wanted things done and how they uh, saw me being successful at doing it, you know, it was easy for me to transition. So, you know, I just spent a lot of time in the classroom and also in that film room, you know, to make sure that, you know, if I had to go in the backfield, I knew what I had to do. I had to be a bruiser. I had to make sure that I kept the chains moving uh, and get us those four yard, four to five yards each carry. And if I had to go out to the slot, you know, it was more so making sure that if I was in a blocking scheme, uh, make sure that I got my hands up and make sure that I got my hands on folks uh, to spring my wide receivers. And then if they needed me as well for, you know, just a short five yard out or, uh, a, a nice little bubble, you know, I was there and, and I gave the coaches confidence that, you know, they can trust that my hands were just as good as a, another wide receiver. Now, what was your favorite game as a Gamecock? You know, I was looking back and I was thinking, you know, I know there was the Vanderbilt game where you guys just pounded the rock and it seemed like, you know, 
the rushing yards, there was no end to it. But uh, what was your favorite game? Um, I can't even really pinpoint one game. You know, every time I suited up in that Gamecock uniform, man, it was it was my best game. It was the best game for me because you never know when this game will be taken away from you. And I was just happy to step out there in front of, you know, 80-plus thousand uh, each home game and even more when we go on the road, you know, in the SEC with those big crowds. You know, um, there was a lot of games that stuck out early on in my career, you know, where it was my first welcome to NCAA play where me and the guy from uh, Virginia went head up. And that was my, hey, you, you, you're you in, you know, uh, you're in college now. So you have to protect yourself. So that was one of my best games. And then I had a couple other games where, you know, I did uh, some, some very spectacular things uh, that help our team win and just help our offense move. But I never really try to pinpoint one specific game only because, uh, you know, every game out there in that Gamecock uniform was, was amazing and was a blessing to me, and I loved each and every one of them. We're live right now with Corey Boyd, former Gamecock, University of South Carolina's own. Of course, he played for two legendary coaches, and not many say they can play with a legendary coach. He plays with one, of course, Lou Holtz, who came in, recruited him out of the great state of New Jersey. Then he finishes up his career with Steve Spurrier. He got to play with the famous Kenny McKinley, and when we look at what Kenny meant to the program, of course, uh, at South Carolina, of course, lost way too early. He talked about Savelle Newton and a few other great American athletes around him day in and day out. First of all, Corey, uh, I want to say thank you so much for coming in here and, and being a part of what we do at Southern Sports Central. You're going to become a normal name and, of course, voice here on the show. We're going to get you in here on a weekly basis, not only to talk about, you know, what you did to get to the college level in, in a town of New Jersey where they came all the way from Columbia to get you, but also all the things in the classroom to the football field and everything in between. And then of course, we're going to let you uh, have some time to talk about that running rebel program as well. But um, anything coming up, you got any fundraisers, anything coming up that you guys got going on that we need to be a part of? Well, definitely. Yes. I'm glad that you guys have mentioned that currently we have a small GoFundMe going on uh, Columbia Running Rebels Youth Football. Uh, we're looking for donations. No donation is is small. Everyone, um, you know, every bit goes to our kids and getting them helmets, equipment, um, league fees taken care of in our travel. Uh, we know that with this pandemic taking place right now, that the kids are stuck in the house. And we know that once everything opens up, these kids are going to going to want to cut loose. And um, our goal is to try to get as many athletes to participate in our 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 team and in our organization for free. So if you have any equipment, old, um, you know, nothing, nothing's you know too small. Like I said, we would love to have equipment donations. And also uh, the small fundraiser on GoFundMe to help make sure that every athlete is participating for free. That's our main goal is to make sure that uh, no kid is left behind and that, you know, we can help them as far as developing them in this sport of football. Well, my man, I just sat here and I'm putting it on our social media sites now. I want to tell you very much uh, thank you 
for always taking time out. We catch up a lot off the air, but uh, for you to give me 30 solid minutes on the air means a lot to me, buddy. And we'll catch up here again because we've got a lot of things to uncover. We're going to do some special stuff with you guys on some things that we talked about uh, just moments before we came on. But uh, thank you again, man. Take care. God bless. Come see me and Eugene down here in Charleston, man. We'd love to host you and kind of show you around the, uh, the, the big city down here in Charleston in Somerville. Yeah, well, I truly appreciate you. My favorite well, number is number three, so I can take any jerseys. Okay. Well, I truly appreciate <laughs> you guys definitely, you know, having me and, and, and keeping that door open. And uh, actually, I'll the next time I'll be down there with, 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 with my lady, because uh, she's actually living in uh, Charleston. So I can actually come down there and spend the weekend with you guys, and, and we can definitely catch up on old times. You got it, buddy. Hey, always, Corey, thank you very much. I'll give you a shout here after a while, man. But uh, looking forward to watching you guys. And, of course, the Running Rebels run through the league in the 2020 season. It's getting ready to unlock here real soon, buddy. Thank you again. Thank you, and God bless. There you go, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Corey Boyd, uh, number three, of course, on the chart, number one, and, of course, Eugene Benton's heart. I'm just kidding, Coach. <laughs> we got to go to break. I got uh, another true. legend in the making. I know. <laughs> Another legend in the making, uh, of course, coming up with us as we travel to Rocky Top. He's at the Grand Strand right now, but he's been running from the track and field to the football field, and it all started up there in his hometown in mine, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina's own. Of course, that is uh, Mr. Kenny Solomon is going to join us right out of break, guys. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. This segment brought to you again. We visit back to the factory and fitness sports training studios here in Somerville, South Carolina. Of course, I want to thank all of our sponsors for all that they do to help us get through these amazing interviews, these opportunities to talk to guys like the one and only Kenny Solomon. Kenny, what's up, big guy? How you doing, man? What's up? I'm, I mean, what's up? I was about to say what's up, coach. <laughs> You're good. You're good. Hey, so you know, it's hard to believe, brother, but you got another you got a year under your belt in college, man. Who would have thunk it? Now you did half of it. No, you didn't. You did a little bit more than half of it in class, but you did the last what couple of months uh, at home, man. Uh first of all, what what's going on, man? Give us an update on, on how you're staying involved in your schoolwork, how you doing your workout programs, how you staying in coaches coaches' ears, that kind of stuff, man. How how's it going over there in uh in Tennessee town? Oh, it's, it's been good, man. I've I've been working out, you know. Still, you know, I still I try to stay on my same schedule I was in Tennessee, and uh, we've been we've been meeting up with coaches, you know, uh, keeping in touch, and then uh, strength coaches to uh, you know, Texas, each and every one of us, uh, what to do, like the workouts to do and stuff like that, just to stay on schedule. So when we come back, you know, everybody still still be in shape as if we was as if we never left. That's what we're doing right now. And uh, helping, uh, we also the players are also helping recruiting too. You know, what I'm saying we we staying in touch with the junior guys, the freshmen, that just like they stayed in touch with me when I was when I was uh, being recruited. So, you know, it's been it's been pretty much the same. We're just not in their faces right now. You know what I mean? 
No, I got you. So there was a guy that was recruited by, uh, of course, uh, I, I'm imagining that you had a little helping hand in it, man, with the kid from Hartsville. Of course, uh, you guys, I believe, played against each other. He goes to a junior college. Now he looks to go somewhere in Tennessee, now his new hometown. How much did you have a chance to, to, to help get him in and kind of introduce him and the new volunteer that's going to be coming with you guys next fall or this fall? Yeah, you talk, you talking about Tyron Evans? Yes, sir. Yeah, we uh, we uh, I, I talked to him um, while he was in JUCO, and I told him about the school. You know, I hit him up on Twitter and stuff like that while he was being recruited. And uh, we we also we also uh, we we been cool. Like we was cool since uh, North South All Star, the whole All Star week. You know, uh, we was roommates together. So you know, I like me and him. We, we just hit each other up every once in a while. Just. Just, and we just ready to get back on campus, really, you know. That's what both of our, our goals are. So so what's going on in Tennessee, you know, when you look at this thing, uh, Kenny, and that you and I get a chance to talk a little bit more than I talk to a lot of uh, our athletes that come on here. But that being said, man, something special, man, that's happening in Tennessee because it seems like everybody's got him in their top five. You've got a wide receiver in Myrtle Beach, J.J., that you know as well, uh, really well, and, and he's got you guys in the top four or five with him. You've got, of course, a wide receiver, Jalen Hyatt. He's already committed, and he's all but uh, he's ready to rock and roll in, in Rocky Top. Of course, his little brother's a freshman. He's probably a leaning towards there. What is Coach Pruitt, man? What's he got going on over there that you guys went from being, you know, you, you got there going, okay, what do we got going on? So you started a little tough, but, man, you guys finished strong and kind of made an imprint on the SEC before you guys called it a season. You know, uh, it's, it's unexplainable. Like the guys we're bringing in, you know, it's every number two on the charts. So it's, it's I don't know. I was gonna, I can't explain it. It's gonna be, it's gonna be, it's gonna, it's gonna be a season. It's gonna be a season. Like, what was it like the first time you ran out to Rocky Top, Kenny? When, when they started playing that music well, and here comes the big T, it opens up, man, and you come running out. Now it wasn't like soccer ski. I know it wasn't as big as that, right? But it definitely was pretty big, right? Oh, it was big. It was big. You know, you know, going. It was always, it was always a dream. Even play going out, running out of uh, home in that soccer team. And I was uh, in middle school. You know, I was with Coach Iller and all them, and uh, Hunter Renfro. So it was always a uh, blessing running out that helmet. But now, now running out the team, you know, that's 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 just one of the highest goals that I reach, and it's higher goals than that. So I'm just trying to. You know, it's 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 an unbelievable experience. I mean, I'm I'm blessed to be in a position. No doubt about it. We're live right now with a big man on campus here on Southern Sports Central. He's a regular as he checks in with us from time to time. And of course, he graduated from my alumni. Now it's our alumni. You and I, of course, uh, graduate from the same high school. You're doing great things. Going to do bigger things, of course, uh, here in the next few months and years. I can't wait. But when you start to kind of look at it, you got that first interception this year, man, and I can only imagine your uncle, your mom, your your dad, your brothers, of course, and, and everybody that was there on campus with you. And we've seen videos because I think your uncle may be one of the best uh, videotaking guy I've ever seen, and he, he man, he, he videotapes it all. I love it, man. So we don't miss a, a beat even here in South Carolina with what you're doing over there in uh, in, in Tennessee. But what went through your mind when you caught that ball? Did it hit you right away that, oh, my God, I just caught my first interception? Or did it catch you a little bit later once you got to the sideline? 
It caught me. I got some sideline. <laughs> I actually, I ain't gonna lie though. I ain't gonna lie. I called it. I called it. Uh, I was talking to Warren Burrell. I told him I was gonna. I was, actually, I told him I was gonna get a pick six because I, you know, I we knew we was gonna go in and set the uh, second stringer. So, so I was like, hey, well, I'm gonna get a pick six. Yeah, I watch this. So, I, but I caught a pick. I caught a pick, but not the six. But you know, I caught it. You know what I'm saying? And you, you can see the video. Uh, I, I jumped kind of late, and I, I was just, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't know how to react. So I just got to the sideline. When I got to the sideline, you know, it all felt like a dream. Now, how has it been? And I can tell you I'm very familiar with the Tennessee fan base. I had a chance, matter of fact, to talk to three of your coaches at the South Carolina um, championship games on a Saturday up at Wayne's Bryce this past year. And Coach Pruitt was one of them. And of course, a couple of your other coaches were there as well. But but I know a lot of your fans that, that call in here, a bunch of them are listening here tonight. A lot of them have inboxed me, asked me to bring you back in. So I, I can appreciate that, knowing your background and knowing, you know, where you come from. That means a lot to me that you represent, you know, our alumni and our hometown well. That being said, what's it like around in Knoxville, man? It's a college town, no doubt about it. You go into the local place to grab something to eat. I know you, you're decked out in that Tennessee, man, and you got that big pee on your chest. Uh, you get a big holler when you come home, but but what's it like when you go to Knoxville and you walk around town and people see you? Uh, it's it's all family, like it's like it's like you know everyone is, and um, they they know you, and uh, you start you start to build a relationship with the fans. You know, even on social media, I build up relationship with fans, and um, you know it's it's very humbling. And, you know, especially after, you know, I, I wasn't really that known in, in, in the town of Knoxville, but when I started running track, it started, it started to grow a little bit. But it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun communicating with the fans. You know, I love it. And you're doing a great job at it. Great segue to go to track and field. Now, Kenny, of course, we do a lot of spotlights for our, our athletes who had to forego their senior season. Of course, that's not you, but you did have to forego your, your, your season when it comes to track and field. And, by the way, you know, you're one of the fastest cats to come out of soccer, see, and I've seen a lot of fast kids come around and uh, some big guys come out of there as well, but you have a different type of speed, man, and, of course, broke a record down at one of your, I believe, junior days uh, in high school when you went down to the state of Florida and to one of their colleges. You really got your attention on that visit, but you keep doing it even in Knoxville. Kind of tell us, what are you running over there in Knoxville in the uh, track and field, and what, was it, what went through your mind when you guys finally realized that the season had come to an end? Uh, I'm running. I'm running the for for indoor. I only ran sixty meters, and I only ran it twice. I only had, I only ran it two meets. Uh, and uh, for outdoor, I was going to run the hundred and the four by one, maybe the two hundred, maybe. Uh, just the hundred four by one was talking. We was talking about, and uh, but I I, I was you know, I, it was all mad when the season came to the end. You know, I was. I was disappointed. I wanted to uh, see how well I was going to do in the um, outdoor season because I'm better in the outdoor than indoor. That was my first time ever running indoor, so so it was still a good experience, though. I, I was, but you know, it, it is what it is. Well, I have a Kenny Sullivan. Of course, he's a dual threat athlete, and of course, a five star young man on and off the football field, and does it also in track and field. Uh, talking about. Uh, the in and outs of track and field now. Of course, uh, what's the difference? So, again, I'm not a track guy. I don't know much about it. I've been very blessed here over the last two months to meet more track and field coaches and runners and, and athletes that I've ever met in my life. But 
What makes it different besides the air? Does the air play a big part in why you like the outside? Are you comparing it to the inside, Kenny? I'm sorry. I didn't hear the last thing you said. What, what makes you like the inside compare or the outside rather than the, the inside of a track and field? Indoor arena, of course, back home where you in Takasi up in Myrtle Beach, there's not any of that indoor stuff because we have such nice weather pretty much all year long. But then you go to a place like the SEC, the track and field, in a lot of ways, is as strong as it is in any other sport in that conference, and they're very good across the board in almost every campus you go on. But why do you like the outdoors in comparison to the indoors? Uh, I just grew up running outdoors, you know. I like, I've been running track since I was six, you know. Outdoor, I never, never ever ran indoors like ever except until I came to Tennessee. So my heart has always been a hundred meters, and there's no hundred meters in the indoor. There's only sixty meters. And uh, if I ever wanted to be a record, you know, it would be the hundred, not you know, rather than the sixty meter. So that's that's probably why. So let's look at your classroom, man. You've got good grades. You're doing what you need to do. I've got a confirmation of that as well, and I'm real proud of you, not only on the track and field and the football stuff because that's huge, but I'm even more proud of what you're doing in the classroom, Kenny. Because at the end of the day. This stuff that you do in athletics is going to be a conversation, okay? Unfortunately, this doesn't last forever. That being said, what are we majoring up there at Knoxville, man? What are you hoping to achieve when it's all said and done, when uh, your days at Tennessee are coming and going? Of course, Brock. You know, something you're doing right now (laughs) with communication. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds like you need a job. I got you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir. So do they do that? I mean, so broadcast journalism up there in Tennessee, I know that I did it in South Carolina, and it's treated me very well. I've had an opportunity to do a lot of great things, and you're aware of that. I got to be the voice of of, of our alumni soccer team for a year when I uh, went back home for that time of period and did a lot of stuff with you, of course, as well there as, as an athlete at our at our high school. But but do, is that a big thing? Do you guys have TV down there? Is there a radio on, on campus? Uh, what, what is the, the, uh, the classes like down there in, in this field? Well, I haven't I haven't got to the big broadcasting stuff. I'm I'm, on, I'm in the journalism classes right now, so uh, I'm uh. But I have I, when I came on a visit when I first came on my official visit, they they showed me around. They showed me the bro, the broadcasting stuff they do, the you know, like what they do in the classrooms and stuff like that. It was pretty cool. So you know, I, I got very interested in that part. Yeah, you know, they they showed me a lot with the broadcasting stuff. They showed me that, and, and someone someone I forgot his name, but someone big on the ESPN uh, came from Tennessee too. So that's that's all that's always good good stuff to go through. There's also a young lady, by the way, that's at, at, at ESPN who graduated from our high school, Wendy Nix. I don't know if you uh, watch NFL Countdown, but she's an alumni of Socrates. So that might be somebody you want to keep a close hold on to as well. That. Uh, you know, it's nice to have one, but, man, to have two in your pocket, that's a pretty good deal. Of course, anything I can do to help you on the radio side of things, I'm I, I definitely going to do my part, man. Uh, what's been the most exciting thing? You know, when you're in the books, man, you, you talk track and field, you talk, you know, um, you know, football, is it the food part. I know in Knoxville, man, food's really big up that way. They've got really good barbecue and a lot of things up there that you like. But what's been the most exciting thing? And, and again, it could be in the classroom. It could be on the football campus, the soccer fields or excuse me, track and field, what is it there at Knoxville that you've taken out of this first year under your belt that you've enjoyed the most, or this year? Uh, 
I enjoy I enjoy football, you know, the traveling and stuff, and uh, you know, how how well they like it's just the experience. I love the experience, especially at Alabama. And you know, that was that was the best experience ever. Uh, and of course, we you know the outcome didn't go our way, but but it was still a great great experience just to be at um being Tallahassee and just and just face Alabama and uh. I don't know. It was crazy. It was that, that the atmosphere was crazy. You know, it was a, it was a good game, and uh, so was the game cause game when we beat South Carolina. That was that was a good game too. That was a great experience. You know, it was very loud, yeah. very loud that game. And uh, for track, yeah, I can imagine. Track, you know, I can't I can't leave out the track part. You know, I trained with some some guys that that run the Olympic Olympics, and uh, that ran against Usain Bolt and all that. And uh, what's his name? Um, Tyson Gay, a guy who beat Tyson Gay, actually, you know, Warren, there's name was Warren Frazier and C.J. Green, you know, they're, they're, I trained with those two, and uh, that 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 was a great, that's that's uh, like I, I couldn't believe I was just training with them, you know, I was just, I was awesome, you know, getting faster and stuff, and uh, school wise, you know, now yeah, at ten, University of Tennessee, I thought like it just it just shocks me sometimes, you know, just stop and think I'm at Tennessee. Go in the classroom, get my books, get my grades right, and uh, meet meet new people, and it, it's just all of that experience. Overall, I'm blessed to be there. Now I couldn't agree with you more, man. I tell you what, playing in the Power Five from experience, it's a whole new world from soccer. Ski, it's a whole new world from any high school experience you get. I could never imagine what it would have been like to play in that Alabama-Tennessee rivalry. For you guys who don't know, that is a very strong dislike situation there. Neither one of those schools like one another, and it goes way back to Philip Fulmer and some other coaches there uh, and further back than that there. Of course, uh, Kenny, as always, man, I appreciate you. You always, you know, you, you answer the call, man. You and I get a chance to catch up off there a lot. But anytime I need you to come in here and talk some Tennessee football, man, it means a lot. You represent us here in Southern Sports Central. Well, of course, our hometown, man. We couldn't be more proud of you. Uh, you keep doing what you're doing, man. You'll get yourself a trophy and – Best you get yourself a statue. I'm gonna do my part to get you a statue of the soccer. See, they like to do that these days over there. And why not? Why not? Why not, Kenny Solomon? Right. So, uh, keep doing what you do, man. And the biggest thing that you do that I can't, I can't tell you enough. It means the most to me personally is that you come home. I see you on that campus all the time. You take pictures with the with the students that are there. You didn't forget where you came from, and I know your upbringing from your from your parents there and your uncle and all that. So I don't expect anything else but what you're doing. But keep doing that. Keep coming home. They got a new football coach at soccer, Steve. Go over there and love on that guy, man. Go over there and help him out. Do whatever you got to say to those kids because, trust me, Hunter Renfro did it, and you're doing it, and, and it's going to just keep happening. We're going to keep putting kids uh, in front of people from soccer, Steve, to wherever conference and place they want to be. But um, I'll catch up with you soon. I can give you work assignments if you need some credit, man. I got you some work stuff over here on the radio if you ever need some work, buddy. Let me know. Thank you. I appreciate that, for real. All right, buddy. Much love to you, man. To everybody, we said hey, and I'll catch up with you here shortly off there, my man. Thank you. Yes, sir. There you go, ladies and gentlemen, Kenny Solomon. Eugene, I tell you what, man, Sakasi, you know, they, they, they've got another young man. He's a sophomore. He's a track guy, and he's also a football player. I think he's a wide receiver. you got to keep an eye on him. He's a sophomore. He's coming up in the ranks. got to watch him. But Sakasi, they don't put two and threes. They put one here, one there. But the two that they out here of late, and I'm only talking about the guys because they got some ladies that are going to do some big things. But Kenny Solomon is going to do great things. I think you could easily see it. He's got something you can't teach, and that's crazy speed, man. This kid went down to the state of Florida 
and, and set a record on this campus he was on, on his junior. I think it was a junior trip or uh, one of those junior camps, and uh, it was uh, very impressive. Um, and, again, not only is he a five-star kid on the field, he's a, a ten-star kid off the field. You know, that's important as well. Yeah, I think it was at Central Florida. And I remember when that came yeah. out because, uh, you know, he, it, because Florida is known for speed. And everybody recruits Florida throughout the whole country. And he not he just blew them out in that in that uh, it was a football combine and this forty time just and, and that's what you know in a sense kind of put him on that big D one school map and I'll, I'll never forget when I saw that time and you know I just remember uh, you know those who were following him were like just look at this you know not only is it in Florida but he, a South Carolina kid went down there and blew out all the Florida kids in their home state. So it, that, that was just – that was huge. I don't even remember what the time was now, but it was ridiculous. You know, and like you said, you you can teach technique, but, you know, a lot of coaches will tell you speed is God-given. You know, you, you can – and you yeah, can work on that. Me. You can shave off some time with some things like that, but that elite speed is so rare. That's why those guys are coveted. Right. Uh, any coach at the next level will say, well, you know, give me that speed, I'll teach the technique. Yeah, and I, and I agree with you. I, I think that's something, again, they say speed kills and you can't teach speed. And I, I think you can work on it. But as far as what he was able to do, and I've had conversations with his mom, I've talked to his uncle, I've talked to, of course, a lot of those guys at, at Sakasi, because that's one thing about that, that, that group down there, or up there, because I'm in Charleston, is it's still there's a lot of those guys that are listening right now. And, uh, you know, they all slay and they all say, once the brave, always the brave, and it stands strong. And, you know, Kenny's that guy. He comes back home, he does a lot of things, and that means – uh, a, a lot to me, and I know what it means a lot to you when we see our kids come back to their schools and kind of help raise them a little bit, right? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that's part of it is that, you know, because a lot of schools will have these, you know, guys that go on to, to do great things. And, you know, you look at the guys that give back or the guys that just, you know, it may not be give back whether it's money or whatever, but the guys that give back their time or their presence because that's what the younger guys look up to. They look up to that guy that made it, you know, and they want to be like that guy. They want to emulate them. And for those guys to give back, you know, for a quick example, um, I was training some guys on Thursday, and one of the former Gamecock kickers was in town. Uh, He's dating a girl on Mount Pleasant, and he let me hold for him for a couple kicks. And uh, it's Elliot Fry, and, you know, he was hitting 50 yarders. I was holding for him in warm-up. And afterwards, he was standing there talking to the guys, and he's like, you know, for kickers, you know, a lot of guys don't like the weight training. They don't like to lift. They don't like to do things like that. But I'm telling you, if you're trying to make it to the next level, and he had just signed uh, last week or week before last with Tampa Bay, he's like, you know, you really got to put it in because everybody else is trying to get that roster spot, that coveted spot that gives you that paycheck. You got to put in that extra work. And it was just so cool to have a guy like that just, you know, give two minutes to talk to high school kids and just give them that little extra motivation to, to put in that extra time to get to that next level and achieve their goals. No doubt about it, man. And talking about achieving our goal, we've done that again today with putting another feather in the cap. We had a live on ground. It was, in the uh, of course, infield at the uh, NASCAR race. We kind of kicked us off back to the new normal here. Of course, we were at the, at the Darlington Motor Speedway with Jake Shelton. He's a uh, driver of the hauler for the number 2017, J.J. Yaley. Of course, uh, Miguel Patrick, he is the head football coach over there at Cedar Grove. We checked in with Coach Chuck Reedy. 
And, of course, uh, Corey Boyd, former Gamecock uh, for the University of South Carolina, joining us, and Kenny Solomon just wrapping us up as well. Don't forget, on uh, Tuesday, we'll come back at you live right here on Southern Sports Central. We're going to check in with the high school blitz at 7, from 7 to 8, about their four combines across the great state of South Carolina for the juniors, upcoming seniors. We're also going to get in here with our man Reginald Walker. He'll check in at 6.30. So a great show ahead. And this show is now in the books. Eugene, I'll catch up with you here shortly. But other than that, my man, we'll see you live here on the air Tuesday night at 6 o'clock. Take care and be safe. Love you, brother. You too, my man. For everybody else, guys, I'm Rich Yelman. That is Eugene Benton. I want to thank the Factory Sports and Fitness Center, the Tent Farm, of course, uh, Gers Pharmacy, and without further ado, Simmons Barbershop. If you'd like to be a sponsor, follow us on Facebook at Southern Sports Central. You can inbox us there. Or if you want to contribute, you can also follow us over on Twitter at SO Sports Central. On behalf of all of us, all of you, take care. God bless. We'll see you live next Tuesday night, or this Tuesday night, at 6 p.m. Wasn't the spring, and spring became the summer. Who'd have believed you'd come along?